You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Welcome to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, episode 372. This episode is, we're getting up there, man, getting close to 400. <laughs> well, if our schedules were right, we'd probably be closer. <laughs> we would be closer. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Schedules are jacked up right now. So. They certainly are. Um, but this episode uh, is brought to us, brought to you guys, by the lovely people over at Arrow Films. And I think it's going to yield some pretty interesting discussion. It's a set of theirs that I didn't really know about until it came out and a lot of buzz, a lot of talk about it, kind of a left field thing that I really admire that they've done. Um, whether the films stick or not, we'll, we'll discuss, but it's the American horror project volume one, which is dual format came out uh, at the end of February in the U S and features yep. three, uh, very different kind of horror films. One of which directed by Matt Simber of, Candy Tangerine Man fame. Yeah, which is also getting the Blu-ray release pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, who'd have thunk it, man? Really? Steel Justice has blue. <laughs> I mean, this is just a wild time we're in. Yeah, these uh, these I'd heard of the the Matt Simber film, The Witch You Came From the Sea, but the other two I hadn't heard from. But we should also say this is kind of Arrow teaming up with Stephen Thrower, who's been on a few yeah. Arrow releases already, and he was the one that wrote Nightmare USA, and it's kind of about the independent horror boom of the 70s. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty good at... Uh, kind of recognizing these little unseen kind of regional horror films. So yeah, it should yield some pretty good conversation, I think, because I'd never seen anything, any or all three of these. Nor had I, I had heard of the witch, but to be honest, for some reason, I think I said this to someone, I thought it was like a Czech, one of those kind of surrealist kind of fairy tale films that came out. The The cover is very memorable, right? Oh yeah. Super memorable. It's like a Frank Rosetta type, like fire and ice type cover. Totally is. It totally is. So that's, this one's uh, going to, I think, yield some interesting conversation. I, I really like what they're doing, um, going for stuff that, that kind of stretches what we all know the medium for. Mm-hmm. Uh, these almost feel like uh, like uh, Rafelson, Bob Rafelson's 70s horror in some ways. 
Yeah, they do kind of drifting, yeah. kind of you know, family psychology and certainly two of them do. I think one of them. One's a more conventional one. horror film. Wait, yeah, it also feels more them, yeah. regional. Yeah, it's definitely more regional, and it certainly feels like a little bit of a. We may have smoked too much before we started making this movie. <laughs> Herbalists, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, we'll get to that. Yeah, we definitely will. Um, before we get into those films, what uh, what have you been watching lately? It's been a while, man, but I don't think uh, back or... Yeah, we're kind of recording back-to-back stuff, so I'm going to kind of split them up just to yeah. kind of go behind the scenes a little bit so it does not, you know, blow my my uh, star virgin on the first uh, <laughs> to blow that matchbook out uh, you'll hear more about that later oh boy, yeah. uh, uh, I watched uh, I don't know if I talked about this Only the Dead See the End of the War I watched that it's a documentary about another war journalist uh, this one's pretty it's one of the best films I've seen so far this year uh, of course you know the cram really just kind of ended for us you know a few weeks back about a month ago but so far, this is one of my favorite documentaries. But it, you know, I should warn everybody: this this is a very graphic, very graphic uh, documentary. You know, if you're not in the mood to see dead children pulled out of rubble, then uh, you might not want to watch this on the, with you know with mom with some popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> this is not that kind of viewing. It uh, you know it left it left me profoundly sad, and uh, I think that's okay for a film to do that. And I think that's uh, it was a really strong reaction I had to it. And it uh, made me think that you know, as bad as that is, there is hope that the world can be a better place. But man, it was, whew, man, it was rough. Oh yeah. Maybe not as graphic as some. I mean, I've seen some pretty graphic war stuff, but uh, this one's this one's up there, no doubt. Um, and then I watched uh, another documentary. Um, actually, I'll talk about two more. I watched. Uh, What's that, what's that say right there? Can't even read my own writing. Uh, respectable, the Mary Milligan, Millington story. Oh yes, the porn star. The, yeah, uh, the porn star from the uh, uh, UK. Yeah. Yeah. This is also a very graphic uh, documentary it's on Netflix. So be careful who you watch it with and, who, and who's around. On lunchtime viewings with mom. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, yeah, it, it go it, sh- it quite vividly shows the scenes. So, uh, yeah, um, it's pre- it's pretty good though. I mean, it's. It's an interesting story because, you know, UK's kind of always been known for their kind of uh, kind of righteous disposition toward adult entertainment. Of course, that kind of changed as time went on, but it kind of talks about Mary Whitehouse and, you know, she became the video nasty lady and, you know, all that uh, kind of right-wing kind of, you know, conservatism. And Mary Millington was right in the middle of all that. She's a very popular porn star for a good, I don't know, maybe five to ten years or something like that, but... Uh, had a rather unfortunate demise, but um, it's a it's a really interesting story. Film's not real well made; it's a lot of clips, but it is interesting, um, kind of where she came from and how she became this thing and how she kind of saw the world. So, so pretty interesting stuff, to say the least. I want to give um, Netflix some credit. I think that they've gone about over the past couple of years putting more kind of risque stuff, like love streams, on there. The No Way film. I think they've done a good job of. Yeah. Of allowing us to not, they not being, you know, this moral high ground about what they're they're putting out. Um, yeah, yeah, they could like, they could easily be like the, the blockbuster of streaming, right? They could easily do. Yeah, that. Yeah, of course they can call the shots, but I think that I really admire that they put stuff out there that's for. Yeah, taste. they put that out there. Like you said, loves out there, which is graphic, and then, uh, uh, like I said, this is again graphic in a different way, but it is graphic, and 
so you know just be prepared who you watch it with and <laughs> where you're watching it let's do that <laughs> definitely be careful uh i watched uh an open secret this is about uh well th- what this is really about our good friend emily uh she used to be known as the the gore whore but emily i don't want to say her last name in case she yes, doesn't want yes. her last name something but you know who i'm talking about mm-hmm. um she messaged me and said this is on YouTube and told me to check it out. Um, I've been waiting for this to come out for some time. This is kind of a documentary kind of tied into child sexual abuse in Hollywood. And uh, it kind of ties into the whole Brian Singer thing that went down not too long ago. I think uh, just two years ago. And uh, it kind of gives you one angle on it. Now, whether you want to believe it or not, uh, that's up to the individual watching it. I got to say, was very disturbing to say the least <laughs> uh yeah uh, just a disturbing thing you know and uh, yeah it's a rough one let's put it that way yikes so, again if uh enter at your own risk i've had some pretty heavy material lately haven't i man yeah geez yeah you have been yeah i, I think i'll hold off i'll hold off and talk about the other two at the, at the next recording but uh I haven't watched a whole lot. What, did you watch Titty Cup Follies? I mean, it sounds like that's the way you're going here. It's almost all documentary stuff, except obviously for the, the fictional films we watch for the, well, I guess Star Virgin could be a documentary of Large Williams' Canadian adventures early in yeah. his youth. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> but, man. That's right. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, I've just been, you know, kind of going back and forth with that, because, you know, I get a lot of my fictional kick from watching the films for the show, and so yes. I end up watching, you know, the documentaries I want to watch or other materials because I really they're really honestly there's not a whole lot of fictional material right now out there that I really want to see I mean uh, I was thinking about that the other day I was thinking the other day there's just not I don't know there's something I'm feeling I mean of course you know things have changed they always do mm-hmm. but you know right now I'm just not feeling like there's a lot out it's kind of a slow period for me I feel like this is actually a pretty good time though theater wise like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Relatively speaking, you could go see The Witch. Um, you could go see yeah. Ten Cloverfield Place, which I didn't like. Take Cloverfield, but it looked the trailer for this one looked interesting. Zootopia for the kids. Um, there's a yeah, more yeah, yeah. If you can too. get to the theaters, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but otherwise, yeah, it's a little bit uh, dodgy yeah, to at least. A little bare bones, and you know, with Arrow and Mondo and all these companies releasing so much good stuff with bonus features and everything. I mean, there's just plenty to do at home. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where I've been sticking around lately. Oh, very true. Um, so what have I watched? I think, did I mention on the show, Tough Guys Don't Dance? Uh, yeah, I believe you did. Okay. We're going to cover it now. Did I mention, I watched Terminator and then I watched it again with Braden. Um, just because he wanted to watch it. It's weird for him to have the look at Arnold going from good guy to bad guy. Yeah, the reverse, right? The reverse, which is kind of <laughs> tricky for a five-year-old. but From good hair to bad hair, too. Good hair to bad hair, yeah. That's no, true. <laughs> Just to see uh, Brian Thompson and get his heart ripped out. Yeah. You know, but again, pause before that scene began. It's, uh, yeah, anyway, we... Uh, kind of been going through the Terminator franchise. Yeah, right? we've gone through the first three, and I'll get to the third one in a bit. Uh, watched Monsieur Hulot's Holiday. Because I bought the Tati box set during the last... Criterion sale, the Barnes and Noble sale. Tati is someone that int- I have kind of a very not love hate. Um, he's left me colder than I would have hoped in the past, but I feel like I'm at a point now where I want to give his stuff another whirl, especially with discovering some of Pierre Tate's stuff and 
how much he was influenced by uh, working with Hulot early in, or um, Tati early in his career. So, put on Hulot's Holiday. It's quite funny. Um, really good stuff. That's the point where I'm at with comedies. You know, a lot of the old stuff really does it for me much more than you know my stepdad or whatever the fuck that Mark Wahlberg one is that's out now. Oh yeah, what is that called? The other, my other dad. My other dad or something. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Give me my two dads a TV show over that shit, man. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, again, that's just that, that. That's another thing I'm not interested in seeing. No, I know. <laughs> Terrible. Um, very good stuff, though. Uh, of course, the blue looks fantastic. 50s seaside, kind of coastal France. Nice. Uh, watched 71, which I don't know if you've ended up finishing at this point. Have you? Did you ever end up in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I finished watching it. Yeah, I liked so, it. Yeah, good, good film uh, on Hulu. I think it'd be of interest to my mom. We had fam- we have family in England and uh, family in uh, Northern Ireland and all around the region. So it'd be interesting for her. She really enjoyed it. Uh, held up on a rewatch. Uh, reminded me to keep an eye out for Jack O'Connell because he's one of my favorite young actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, kids wanted to watch Batman Bad Blood, which we watched a couple of DC ones. And this one, I think, was... Oh, that's C- one of the newer animated ones? Yeah, this is one of the newer ones. And uh, this is one where Batman goes missing and Dick Grayson... Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson... Has to put on the Dick Grayson is a different type of film altogether. It sure is, <laughs> sure is. But uh, this one's kind of cool. It kind of brings like the Bat family together. It's got Robin. It's like his son Damien. It's got uh, Dick. Oh yeah, yeah, Damien's in there. Okay, Bat. I know which one you're talking about now. Yeah, so this one's all right. Um, I, I, it's it's unfortunate to me that they make these things PG-13. They're always they're always relatively safe. Then there'll be two or three bad words, and it just yeah, it is, it is a bizarre choice. Yeah. It's like go for it or don't. Like, I know they're making um, Killing Joke R, which they have to, but uh, it's just yeah. a shame when we've seen really well written stuff. Like again, I'll call back to Brave and the Bold or some of the other stuff. Um, I'm drawing a blank. It's late at night, but some of the other stuff I've seen has been good and doesn't need to do that. So it's a weird thing, you know. They, they I don't know. Anyway, uh, but it was all right. Um, Last one I'll mention on this episode is I finally, finally got around to Night on Earth, the Jim Jarmusch film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw this a long time ago. Yeah, I've had the VHS forever, and I just never got around to it. I always meant to see it, but I didn't, and uh, watched it on a, I don't know, it was a Friday night or something. Now, this one's weird because I love Jarmusch. Uh, I really dig Jarmusch's later stuff. Um more than I think some people do, although I think I think Mama, I share that sentiment with you. I think yeah, he's kind of think really um, clean. He's up. kind of really kind of grown into the yeah. filmmaker he wants to be. He's For really sure, well, not as rough around the edges. But I mean, his early stuff is very talented and charming, but this stuff feels really kind of like he's in control of the. It's cleaner. I really like it, but this one's good. It's weird that they do. You know, for those who don't know, it's kind of five stories around the world in taxis with kind of zany. Um, taxi cab uh, customers. Um, you know, it's kind of star-studded, I guess you could say. One's in New York, I think. One's in L.A. One's in... Um, yeah, you got like Winona Ryder. And Winona Ryder's in the L.A. segment. Uh, Who else is, there? is Tilda in there? Is she in there? Tilda's not. In oh, L.A. Sure. one, it's Gina Rollins and Winona Ryder in L.A. Okay, okay. Then the next one's Giancarlo Esposito and Armin Mueller-Stahl. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Rosie Perez. 
Yes. Uh, then the one in Paris, I think it is Isaac de Bencoli and Beatrice Dahl, which is quite fun. Nice. Italy is, la- for me, laugh out loud funny. R- <laughs> Roberto Benigni is in it, and he's really funny. Nice. Some people don't like him. I think he's got an energy. In this, I was I was laughing out loud. He just doesn't stop. He just keeps going. And some of his asides about having sex with chickens when he was a young boy on a farm, it just keeps going. He's got an energy. He's talking to a priest in the back seat, and pretty good stuff. It, you could probably find the the you know fifteen minute piece on YouTube. It's it's pretty good. Um, and the last one has Mati Pelampa, one of the, my favorite actor names to say. Great Finnish actor who died young. He worked a lot with um, what's his name, Chris Mackey. I've seen a few of his films: Ariel, Shadows in Paradise. Uh, Auntie had sent me a couple. They're very good, and he's a super cool actor. Um, it was really cool to see late night um, Helsinki. The architecture and the way it was lit looked really good. But this one was good. But the American stuff really was very mediocre compared to the European stuff. Very strange. Especially I hardly remember it. I've only seen it the one time. I remember seeing it back you know, back in the VHS days. I remember written the VHS. It's weird because the Winona Ryder, Gina Rowland stuff, really, it's it's average at best. The John Carlo Esposito one, it's okay. It, it feels that one like he, I don't know, the vibe I got was Armin Mueller-Stahl. Like he was kind of, Jermich uh, was kind of paying tribute to Vim Vendor's um, Wings of Desire a little bit. Mm-hmm. A little bit with Thurman Mueller-Stahl kind of cab driver character, but anyway, uh, it's 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 a good film for sure. Um, yeah, be, the, the European ones are substantially better though. Um, I'll save the other viewings for our next episode, but uh, why don't we take a short break here then, and we're going to jump into the American Horror Project Volume One. I think we'll probably start with um, which film did you watch first? Uh, I watched the initiation first. Uh, the premonition. The premonition, yeah, not the initiation. That was another film that came out. This was recently. Yeah. Right, Tom Waller. Um, See, I didn't have a premonition that I watched the initiation. Yeah. I had an initiation. <laughs> uh, forgot that I watched that's, the premonition. That's exactly it. So why don't we do the premonition first? Then uh, what did I watch? I watched Malatesta first. I think we'll do premonition first. It doesn't matter to me which one we do first. I mean, uh, I, that's just the one I watched first. But I'm, I'm fine with doing the. Uh, Premonition first. <laughs> okay, let's do the premonition. And uh, we're going to take a short break, come back, and talk about some Richard Lynch thereby. Oh, yeah. We'll be right back. Tom Waits here. If you want to hear a really professionally recorded podcast promo, then I'd suggest you go elsewhere. But if you want to listen to a podcast where there's a whole lot of interesting talk about favorite and great albums and what makes the songwriting so fantastic, then I'd suggest you listen to Love That Album, hosted by Mars. Now, if only you'd talk about one of my records. Love That Album podcast, as endorsed by one out of five Tom Waits impersonators. You can get the podcast from iTunes, searching for Love That Album, or you can get it from lovethatalbum.blogspot.com. Listen to this podcast, except no imitation.
See, I had a premonition. I didn't have a premonition that we were recording a review. I had a premonition that we were opening an episode, clearly. Come up yeah. with that. Dick in my hand, guns blazing. 
trip over my pants. <laughs> the initiation of the premonition. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Richard Lynch needed a mime whisper. Was it the initiation? Is that the new film, or is it called The Invitation? I think there's a film called, called The Invitation. That's it might be, yeah. Jesus. We're not going to get an invitation huge. to review any more films if we keep bumbling like this. Yeah. Good yeah, Lord. Well, like I say, in our defense, uh, you know, I, I, at least I know on my side, not a lot of rest over here on the, no sleep till Brooklyn on here the southern, the southern side. So yeah, I'm just kind of bumbling and stumbling anywhere. Yeah, the north and the south are uh, <laughs> coffeeing it up. But uh, oh, that's not the one. Red flowers caused three college students to have deadly premonitions. Alan Rudolph film. Huh. Ooh. Interesting. Okay, here's the right one. It's got a, what a shitty contemporary poster this one has. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Um, okay, so I would imagine you'd like me to synopsize these? Sure. The Premonition, 1976, directed by Robert Allen Schnitzer. Um, oh, man, what a shitty synopsis. This thriller horror movie tells the tale of a young girl who is terrified that her insane mother will take her away from her beloved foster mother. <laughs> one day... The crazed real mother. No, let's. That one's. That that guy's got like a, like that Nordic O with like the slash through it. So yeah, I'm gonna nix his uh, synopsis. Uh, Five-year-old Janie happy lives with her foster parents Miles and Sherry Bennett, oblivious to the fact that her birth mother is attempting to kidnap her. Let's leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 a good synopsis. That's basically what it is. Yeah, that's essentially what it is. The only other thing that we should mention is that she happens to be teamed up with the one and only Richard Lynch. He's like a mime in this, like a, a yeah. carny mime. Yeah, he's a carny mime. So it's a bizarre. It's it's, it's a good performance. It is uh, a good performance. The film is good. The acting in all. I think in this film is is pretty solid considering. So. I think you know something. I'm glad you said that because I think, and I don't know how everyone feels. I you know haven't been tapped into the community as far as this box set. I know there was a lot of anticipation, but I feel like there was some disappointment with the set. People found the set slow. I found the set, on the whole, to be a real nice breath of fresh air, man. Well, I'm in agreement with you. I found the uh, set to also be a nice breath of fresh air. Uh, I think this is a pretty nice little... You know, it's very much a 70s film. It's very much yeah. character-based, and it's, it's slowly paced, and it's surely... Yeah, you know, I, I don't even know how much horror there is in here. There's... Uh, some, there's a couple of really good dream sequences and some scary moments, maybe more if you're a parent than if you aren't. It's emotional horror, I guess, more than anything, yeah. psychological horror in some ways. Yeah, but it, 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 I could certainly see where some folks would probably not dig on this too much. But I think if you've tracked what Arrow, sorry, I'm trying to find notes. I must have found three or four blank pages in the middle of my notebook. Yeah. And <laughs> so now I have notes, like, way back somewhere. Um like before, like, uh, Requiescent and stuff, and before Blood Rage. Um, if you look at what they've done and kind of connected the dots, they've done a really good job of, of getting kind of off-the-beaten-path stuff and left-field stuff, and I think this fits so perfectly into that 70s kind of existential, fractured person, um, people on the fringes of society and emotionally and otherwise, and... I, it really works well. I mean, more so, I think, the two films, uh, Premonition and um, Witch. Yeah. Malatest is more kind of fun regional horror, as we'd said. But, um, you know, one of the things that struck me, there's a great interview with Richard Lynch on this disc. I think I think it might have been sourced from something else. 
but a nice, I think about a 15, 20 minute interview with him. And uh, he talks fondly about the film. Um, but when you watch the uh, like the reel that plays over the menu, it, it really almost feels like a like a European horror film, doesn't it? The way it was shot, yeah. like the shot of the mother in the red dress and all this stuff. Yeah, and the mom and all that stuff. Uh, that that always brings to mind, like European. you know, Fellini S type stuff. And yeah, and it's got a you know, it's got a pretty good score, and it's it does feel like a European film. It doesn't feel like a I believe this was shot in Mississippi or somewhere. Oh wow, tax credit maybe. Yeah, I think it was. It was some type of regional deal that they got. It was shot somewhere in the south, I believe. So I, I couldn't tell you for sure. I think I don't even think I wrote it down in my notes. I don't think I wrote it down, no. But uh, it was definitely shot somewhere, maybe Arkansas. I'll look it up while we're talking about it here. Arkansas, Clay, represent. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, you want to lead on this? You want me to lead on it? Um, whatever you like. You tell me. Uh, if you have more to say about Malatesta, I can lead on this. It makes no difference to me. I, I have about the same amount to say on all three of these. I mean, to be honest with you, but so I don't care. Whichever okay. ones you want to lead on. Why don't I lead on this one if you want to? We're, lead. So, we're so gentlemanly even to each other that we yes. can't even decide who leads on these reviews. This is true. Okay, I'll, I'll roll. I'll roll on this one. Just chime in. I do that. I'm going to look up and see where this was shot again. Yeah, that's there. right. Texarkana or something. Uh, <laughs> that's in Texas, right? Those boys are thirsty in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> um. This, uh, yeah, startling kind of imagery in the reel of the front. Great introduction from, um, goodness, you said it's Stephen Thrower, right? Yeah. I think he sets the table really nicely with all three films. I think to give appreciation of context for what Arrow's trying to do, and I think even more importantly, respectfully to Arrow, what the filmmakers were trying to do and what they set out to do. Yeah, I was right, Mississippi. Nice, Mississippi mudslide. So yeah. this one actually has a good commentary track too. I recommend people listen to it. I listen. I managed to get a couple because we've been so long between recordings. I managed to get a little bit of commentary tracks in, and this one and uh, Malatesta both have really good co- uh, commentary tracks. I, I'm looking forward to the which one because it That'll has be Matt awesome. Schumer, yeah, yeah, and uh, the uh, the lead, Millie which we'll talk about her kind of awesome career when we get to that one. But oh yeah. Uh, yeah, this one has a good one as well. And I remember him talking about Mississippi and how kind of hot and sweltering it was. Because Mississippi, even though we have some heat here, it's nothing like Mississippi. That's crazy, yeah. Um, this is an Avco Embassy film. I always think of early Carpenter jams when I see that. Yeah, yeah. every time I see that, I always think of... Well, Halloween's the first thing that comes to mind for me every time. Yeah, for sure. Because I've seen Halloween so many times, you know. For sure. Um, one of the things that struck me about this film, and again, which which I can't help but compare the two being in the same box set, is just how moody they were. And I think both are really well shot. And when we get to which, there's a good reason why we think which is well shot. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're very female-centric films, too. They right? are. I mean, it's very interesting that two of the three. Because Malatesta, I guess you could say it's kind of female-centric in a way. It's well, actually, can... horror in some ways. In some yeah. ways. Yeah. Not, that's, I mean, I don't it it is. Story. There's definitely a strong female character in Malatesta. Mm-hmm. Well, this is doing something different than these other two films are, but yeah, these two films are very female centric, and they got two. I, I think the the crazy mom and the the uh, quote unquote not so crazy mom, and I say that because she obviously has other issues. Not yes. not because I'm trying to give you anything away with spoilers. I'm just saying that she has issues with her marriage and and other things, uh, and that's that's all part of the story. That uh, I think those two lead performances are really good. I think they they absolutely are, and it is interesting that both of them look at the fractured family dynamic as well, and yeah. um, 
Um, so yeah, so yeah, the, well, the, the, yeah, we'll talk about Witch and its fractured family. Man, pretty, pretty brutal. <laughs> Fucking horrible, horrible. Yeah. Good it look. Is. Um, but uh, I love the early. There's a really early shot in this that they show the carnival, right? And we know Richard Lynch is a like a mime here, but. They show the carnival being empty, and I might have been reading a lot into this, but it felt like because I'd seen some of the stuff in the the, the reel over the title, almost like a metaphor for like the absence of children at the carnival, like yeah. the absence of children and, and the laughter in her life, the mother right. real like the blood mother's life. Mm-hmm. So there was a nice kind of visual cue, and then we get to Richard Lynch. It's always a treat to see him because we don't usually get to see do. This is a very different turn than we're used to seeing from him. Yeah, he doesn't completely destroy the scenery, chain it up, but he does. <laughs> doesn't mow down some. Yeah, but he does act. I mean, he is very good in the film. He it's quite an emotional performance. Him. He does those uh, those uh, Mayan Pilates at the beginning. He does, he yeah. <laughs> he does. He plays. He tickles the ivory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a really nice performance. I mean, if you know Richard Lynch from. You know, Invasion uh, USA, Invasion USA, <laughs> and those type of films. You know, all all the all the really kind of bad guys he's played over the years. Yeah, uh, and through his career, especially from it seems like the late seventies, all through the eighties. I mean, he basically played the same heavy. It seems like. Yep. And uh, always, you know, dialed to eleven. He's one of those actors and stuff. So he's always fun, but here he's kind of dialing it back, and it's nice. It's a really, it's a really good, if not still bizarre performance because. Mm-hmm. He's still not a good person, but it's not, you know, Richard Lynch, you know, mowing down a bunch of refugees in a boat. <laughs> That's right. Unsuspecting refugees. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's just captain's uh, uniform. <laughs> yeah. oh, I know. It's, man, I just. He's also a very, he's a very creepy mom. We should say that. He's, it's, it's genuinely creepy. His mom makeup is, I mean, maybe it's just me. I mean, I'm not completely terrified of clowns. I don't dig them, but, uh, I don't dig mimes either, and uh, <laughs> you know, don't dig on that mime there, babe. That's right. There's an amazing still on Richard Lynch's IMDb of him. I'm thinking as like an an elder Klingon. Oh yeah, yeah. I think he did play Klingon, didn't he? It's pretty incredible. Um, he pretty much did it all. Yeah, he did. He had to wear a lot of hats, right? Um, but yeah, I think the fascinating thing is therapy, psychology, divorce is pretty uh, you yeah. know forefront of the two films that are more similar um fractured families and uh, yeah very interesting ground to cover this was a time though right when a lot of that stuff had come to the forefront in films you saw kramer versus yeah. kramer and yeah everything the right? 70s were an introspective time right we started looking inside and we started finding I mean, even The Exorcist, in a lot of ways, is an interior horror film. Absolutely. And, yeah, I, I believe, if memory serves, the mother uh, and father are divorced, right? There's no mention of the father, is there, I don't think, from what I remember? I don't really know if there's a mention of him. I don't know if he passed away, but it seems like it might be a divorced, uh, yeah. bad marriage, a marriage gone bad or something. But this was becoming quite prevalent in the 70s, obviously. And, you know, the, that that can be, for those who have gone through it, that can be quite uh, quite a, a rough time. So you can do you can get a lot of horror and a lot of terror out of that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. No, you definitely can. Uh, I really liked the Indian doctor in this. As far, I mean, I guess I found her very attractive. Oh yeah. 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 I like her too. Good looking woman. And it was cool to see like a, a proper Indian woman, like East Indian woman 
in a 70s American horror film. Yeah. With a yeah. prominent role, like very, uh, very rare. She was in To Sir With Love as well. Was she? Yeah. And she also was in Eliza's Horoscope, which I've never seen, with Tommy Lee Jones. So. This has a... Uh... This film is one of those weird ones. It has uh, Roy White in it, the uh, New York Yankee pitcher. That's crazy. He plays a cop in this. He did some acting on the side, and he pop up in movies every now and then. It's very bizarre. Yeah, that is. Uh, but they, that, that, that gentleman, the husband, who kind of falls a little bit for the Indian doctor, he ended up marrying Esther Williams. That guy did. Oh, wow. I remember him from TV. He was on a lot of television when I was growing up. Oh, get this. Uh, Chitra Nyogi, who is the, the doctor in the film, she is a film professor and filmmaker at uh, nyu how about that talks she you know shows her students stuff like tarkovsky films wow that's very cool um you know what this also kind of reminds me of like the low run the low rent kind of bob rafelson version of is um i don't know why i don't don't know why because really there's not that much similarity but um Oh, what's the one with John Houston <laughs> and Sam Peckinpah as the as the doctor uh, with the kid? Oh, the the visitor. The visitor. I don't know yeah. why. I mean, maybe it's because of like the clinical stuff, and it's like it's very clearly like a southern set. Kind Directed of. by that bodybuilder dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember his name. His last name was Sunshine, though, wasn't it? No, I don't think so. Was it? Was Sun? I think it was some. Well, I mean, not his Italian name, but his American. Oh, name was like something. <laughs> Like he would yeah. call himself an American, sunshine. call himself something sunshine or something sunflower. I don't know, sunflower, sunflower. Sun I don't know. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, what else do we got here? Uh, um, oh, I thought the white, the the mother in this, like the real mother, was really beautiful. I think it's. Uh, I think her name's Sharon Farrell. I believe. No, we'll Sharon Farrell is the blonde mother. Yeah, her name's Sharon Farrell. No, that's and... the blonde mother. I'm talking about like the, she's the adopted mother. I'm talking about the real mother. Oh, you're talking about the crazy one. I'm talking, yeah, I'm talking about uh, Richard Lynch's. Beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think both of them. They're are, both pretty in their own way. I guess it comes yeah, out better. Yeah, beautiful in their own way. Now, Sharon Farrell, I had a thing for her. Did you? Because she was, uh, she'd been in stuff like Night of the Comet. Remember, she was yeah. in that, and she's in It's Alive, and Can't buy me a though. few other things. But I had a thing for her because she did some film where she. It was like this really sexy type MILF type thing. Nice. <laughs> so, of course, you know me. Uh, maybe it was Can't Buy Me Love. It might have been that Can't Buy Me Love. She was in Lone Wolf McQuaid. Yeah. She was in The Stuntman. I mean, she was in a ton of stuff. This? She was in a lot of TV. She's in a film, a TV film called, that's what a sleazy title, Born to be Sold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, was in a, she, she did quite a bit of work, though. I mean, yeah. she, she was... Uh, well-known and, and quite a uh, sex spot from what I understood. I did a Sammy search oh, and yeah. uh, only came up with one or two stills, unfortunately. But it's hey, too bad. It, was, it wasn't bad. I didn't do a Sammy search for the other girl, though. Maybe I should have. I, I liked her a lot. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I can see. Yeah, Sharon Farrell was very uh, – oh, she was with Steve McQueen in The Reavers. The Reavers. Yeah, she was in The Reavers with Steve McQueen. She, she worked with a lot of big actors. Huh. Yeah, oh, wow. Kind of known as being kind of like uh, – an Ellen Barkin type? Yeah, kind of like Arden Candy for a lot of big, you know, like, you know, kind of big studly actors, you know? Sure, yeah. TV shows, things like that. That's funny. Yeah, you went more that way. I went more the uh, Ellen Barkin. Well, I don't typically way. go that way, but no, I, remember, no, I, I just remember liking her from other things. Whereas I think the other actress, she hardly ever did anything else. I don't no. think she did. I'm not even sure if she did do anything else. She may have only did this film. She, you know what? She, she worked quite a bit. 
Did she? She did nine and a half weeks. Something called Blood Bride. Apologies. Nine and a half weeks, huh? Wonder what. Let's take a look. Wonder what she did in nine and a half weeks. Yeah, Blood Bride. I see that now. Oh yeah, she's way down the list. Yeah, twenty-five credits. Did but I know that the director? Right. She was in Cop Rock. I know the director uh, <laughs> thought she should have had a big career. I thought oh, she, she was in Natural Enemies. She played Anne in Natural Enemies, that Hal Holbrook film. Oh man! That we talked about that one that's oh, really kind of she's the woman. You know what? I think she's the, that's a fucking tremendous film for people that haven't seen it. Tremendous! You got to see it. It's uh, yeah, yeah, it really is. It's real good. It's a oh, what gem. a film! It's on YouTube. I think I think she's the woman. If memory serves. That he meets on the subway when the power goes out and they have a, like an intimate conversation. Yeah, my that's who she is. But anyway, um, yeah, that's a good one. But yeah, I think the contrast too between them and, and there's a few really great shots of her. Like I was saying earlier, I think the shot of her in the red dress and mm-hmm. really, really fantastic. Um, and I think that the barber is quite good early on with sort of minimal dialogue. Like I think she's able to emotionally convey what she needs to. Quite right. well. I think the film really is a sad. It's a very much a sad kind of melancholy film all the way through. It is. It doesn't. Uh, yeah. I mean, all the way to the end, it's pretty melancholy stuff. It is. It really yeah. is. And you look at. Um, it wouldn't get made today. You know, that kind of film wouldn't get made today. It, no. It had to be some type of happy ending. No, uh, it's it's unfortunate, but it, it it works quite well. I thought the little girl was cute in it as well. I think they cast her well as far as her. her yeah, she was. Her, uh, she was in a lot of stuff when I was growing up too. I think she was in a Richard Pryor film, maybe. She's Justin uh, Loose, maybe. Justin <laughs> Loose. Well, Daniel Brisbois. 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 Yeah, it's funny you say Boston Loose because I was I didn't want to sound piggish, but she went on to become a very well endowed woman. Very uh, well in what? Well endowed. <laughs> Ooh. She's stacked. Kind of like me and my stomach. <laughs> well, she did. She was in a David Hebner film called Kill Crazy. Oh, wow. I know her from something else. I, oh, she was uh, on Archie Bunker's place for a while. I, my, my grandfather used to watch that, so I probably saw her on that. I'm trying to see if i ever seen her in anything else. but I wish she would change her IMDb photo for her own sake. It doesn't do her much justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a, yeah, she was an attractive... Uh, <sighs> younger lady it looks like she sang quite a bit she's quite the singer evidently sorry we're kind of just you know it's been a couple weeks since i watched these so we're kind of going through these yeah as we go sure. but she was cute she's well cast um just such a ridiculous side note her her foster father drives like a wagoneer i always wanted one of those man yeah <laughs> she likes turtles too i should say she does well we don't want to t- i think the original title of this film was like what turtle heaven or something like that was it really? Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> Turtle heaven. I don't know. <laughs> well, we don't want to say too much about that. that that's that spoilery title. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what it was called, though. Was, I think it was originally going to be called Turtle Heaven. I think that's why they changed it, because it might be a little spoilery. Premonition works so much better. Uh, the mother, yeah, with sad, very sad brown eyes. The daughter as well. Again, just tinged with sadness. Um You know, another thing I got a vibe from, this film, to me, and, and kudos to Arrow, the the... I think based, again, on the scarcity of source material, they did a really good job cleaning this up, making it look nice, because the early scene where it's in the little girl's bedroom with her foster mom, it's all blue. It reminds me of, like, Suspiria or Hausu or something. Yep. yep. Really I got a little nice bit of that, colors. too. Really nice colors. Um, 
I feel like Schnitzer may have seen a few European horror films. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. There's totally a European feel to this. Um, how about Homegirl with the curlers and the cold one, man? Just throwing them down. <laughs> <laughs> Party yeah. time. Like Sammy on a Saturday night. Yeah, she's down. Curlers and the beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get a few scenes. Schnitzel, I don't call it schnitzel. Schnitzer, <laughs> go for some schnitzel right now with some lemon. Uh, yeah, sounds good. Schnitzer <laughs> likes to go to that screaming Richard Lynchwell. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we get a few yeah. moments. We get, a kind of, we get kind of a premonition of the Bad Dreams performance a little bit, don't we? Yes. <laughs> yeah, some shouty, lynchy stuff. There are a few. I like those moments. They're nice and stylized. They yeah. had like a nice little chill to the film. There's a really great kind of jump scare in the middle with the woman on the bed. I, that's all I'll say. Yes. Uh, it's really well done. It's one of the best scenes in the film, really. Um, but And, of course, I love the whole end of this movie because it's one of those – we can't talk about it a lot, but it's one of those kind of movies where if you both – if two people see it or three or four people see it, you're going to be talking about the whole back, like – 15 minutes of it because by the end of it you're like what the fuck just happened oh yeah because <laughs> i didn't know i didn't know what was going on by the time it got to the end no i know i was like i had no premonition that this was going to take place <laughs> <laughs> and whatsoever so but yeah i, I like those uh, little stylized moments i mean the the, the film starts kind of you know breezy and not too stylish but then he throws in those nice little kind of punch it up moments and, and, and they work and some kind of soft focus stuff mm-hmm you know, the dreams that works pretty well. Um, you know, I, I could really stretch my legs, but because we got five films to cover, uh, we'll try to pare it down here. Emotionally raw film. I, I think for, a, this is a pretty ambitious film. Um, I want to see, you know, and I have to say, I didn't know, you know what else Schnitzer had done, but, uh, I don't know if he did a whole lot else. I think he only did a couple other things. This maybe. was his second film. Looks like he did three films. Oh, he did that A Man Called Rainbow uh, Stallone film. That came out oh, in, yeah, that HS. one that uh, they re-edited when uh, Stallone yeah. got popular. Yeah. yeah. It looks like he did a few things. Uh, that was the last thing he did. He was uncredited on that, but Candyland, No Place Candyland. to Hide. That was the original, like, Stallone. Like, I think his first, I think he's, I think he's the guy that worked with Stallone first, I think, in 1970, so. Yeah. No place to hide. I've never seen it, I don't think. Nor have I. But he didn't do a whole lot. And I think he shows a really nice hand directing this film. And handling some material in the wrong in the wrong hands could be dreadful. Yeah. Could it be really bad. could be a shit show. I think it, it could be slow for some people. I mean, I can see that because really not a whole lot happens. I mean, there's a lot of conversations and a lot of emotional kind of tense moments. But I don't know if there's a lot of action for people who like that kind of film. Yeah, uh, again, for people like you and I that um, like that intersection, you know, we've gone to the, the well before of other ways. Uh, yeah. A, a nice breath of fresh air. Um, what does I say? What do I got here? Oh, you know, another thing it kind of reminds me of is the brood a little bit. Not so much with a, a handle character, but just the separation of family and mm-hmm. mental issues with the mother. Yeah, the brood's kind of like, a, you know, like the amped up version of this. I would yeah. say, but yeah, that's that that what it does remind me of a little bit. In some ways, the witch is kind of a precursor to the brood too, because it's really amped up. But it's kind of a it's almost a precursor to the color one eye or something. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. No kidding. Um, yeah, or uh, Miss Forty Five. Oh yeah, yeah. Any any kind of female vengeance film. Really. Yeah. yeah. This one's that's, this one goes deeper though. Um, 
How about Richard? What, how about this for a vision? Richard Lynch lying in the hay with his long johns and vest on. That's right. There you go. It looks good there. Uh, lots of claustrophobic close-ups in this, which again I think leads to the feeling of these characters can't breathe and kind of suffocated and you know can't trap, can't can't they're trapped. Um, that doctor. Everything's kind of building up in that middle. There's like a middle. Yeah kind of climax in the middle that you don't kind of see coming. If you haven't seen this film, I don't want to give it away, obviously, because I think it's a bit of a surprise, but there's a bit of a kind of a major thing that happens in the middle, and uh, I think it builds up nicely to that kind of that tense nature of the film. It kind of builds up nicely to it. Yeah, it does. It totally does. Um, Laura Jemser, to me, looks a little bit like the Indian actress in this. Actually, yeah, little, I can see that. Little bit. Um, Are you saying George Eastman jerks off to this film? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. <laughs> uh, a couple of phone calls, just from one specific phone call. This is really chilling. I think from the in the context of the film, that works well. Yeah, yeah. Um, how about? I don't even know who this is. I guess there was a detective. I put that Columbo. Um, Sam Elliott Love Child is on the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> um, the cops don't come into it until late. late. Yeah, they're really just kind of back they're really up. just there they're to kind of move the back end of the film forward. I think. Yeah, yeah totally. If you ever wanted to see Richard Lynch uh, airplaning oatmeal to a little girl in a spoon, this is your jam. Yeah, certainly there is. Yeah. Um, if you also want to see him wax poetic about a little little little, little home out on the dirt road. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Or I can put my mind makeup on my ass. Oh man, that'd be painful. <laughs> um, I think it's Lynch. He, he rocks a white, very GGTMC jacket at the back end of the film. I think it's him. Yeah, um, I think it is. I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe yeah. it's the, the maybe it was the father. I don't know. Someone, someone's very GGTMC near the finale. They something scored in this film. I can't remember what, but my note was, "Where's the harp?" Like yeah. they totally. I think it's when there was a band scene or something, like a party. I don't know. I can't remember now. But anyway, uh, what else do we got here? I put someone tosses their hair like Tawny Katayan. Who was that? <laughs> I don't know. We're two weeks removed. I know yeah, it doesn't sound like I don't know. good podcasters right now, but I can't remember who tossed yeah, their hair like Tawny Katayan. I wish I could. Well, I hope it was Richard Lynch that did that. But that I don't yeah, know who it was. He did have a nice head of hair in this. He did. And he liked that. He for, he really rocked that blowback look for years, didn't he? He did. He got kind of feathered. It was nice, yeah. Yeah. Kind of a dirty blonde, kind of feathered look. Oh, yeah. Uh, I got to sell my notes. Okay. I don't really have a whole lot more to add. I mean, I, I think it is a bizarre little movie. Not in that it's like my Malatesta bizarre, which is a totally different type of bizarre. This is more... Like you said, a very quiet kind of uh, almost like a kitchen sink horror film, a film from the seventies. I mean, you can definitely tell not just because of the fashions and stuff, but this is when people seem to be more interested in character dynamics than they seem to be in actual, you know, uh, set pieces and things like that. Uh, not a lot of films like this that I can recall uh, that I've seen in the seventies horror boom because most of the stuff I had seen was mostly focused on the gore. Or kind of the overstylization, you know, you like the, the Italian stuff or, um, you know, Argento around this time, you know, and he's doing his very stylish bits and other people are doing very gory films. And I just don't remember any kind of horror films like this too much. I mean, obviously, you can feel a little bit of the exorcist in this, even though it has nothing to do with possession. Um, but maybe it does in a way. 
Maybe it doesn't. Maybe that that's the lady's possession. Maybe she feels the child is her possession. I guess you. Yeah, I guess. I guess we could go that route. You could say that. So yeah. Um, like I said, the pacing might bother some. I mean, is it a horror film or is it a thriller? I mean, you could almost say it's more of a thriller than a horror. Or is it an emotional? It, it's a weird. It, it kind of weird betwixt and between. Like, or is it, is it is it even thrilling enough to be a thriller? Yeah. I think it's a. I think there's yeah, it's kind of a weird weird one to to categorize, but yeah. I think it works well because you can call it emotional horror. There's some things that are very traumatic and, and harrowing to Well Stephen Thrower brought up a good point. He brings it up on the disc, but he brought it up in his book too, that before the eighties, horror films were really still very much an adult genre. Yeah. Like adults went to the movies to watch a horror film to deal with that dealt with like tragedies and, you know, before really the slasher boom and all this other stuff where everything became about the effects, I mean, that's when it kind of became about teenagers, right? That's when horror films kind of became, mm-hmm. hey, let's, let's go, man, because I heard in this movie Jason slammed somebody in a, in a, in a sleeping bag up against a tree. we got to see that. Um, that's what that became, which is fine. There's, there's, obviously, there's places for that in, in a lot of our hearts and, and stuff. But I think he, he brings up an interesting point because a lot of times, you know, The Exorcist, a lot, of, you know, a lot of grown people went and saw that. You know, that wasn't a teenager film. People... We're going to see these movies because they dealt with things that terrified them in an adult nature. Things that, you know, kids in peril. I think, you know, a lot of people were parents by this time. You know, they go to see these movies. You know, obviously, you don't know real fear until you have children because then, you, you know, when you have children, that's when, you know, you, you really fear everything. You, everywhere you go, you're like anxiety, roses. You're like watching them all the time because, you know, that's just that's that's your nature. That's who that's who you are. So I always tell people that they don't know what, you know, real fear is. I mean, if real fear is the boogeyman, then wait till you have kids. Because if you have kids, real fear is hoping the boogeyman doesn't come around and bother your children. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny, you know, you mentioned that. I think that's spot on because I think what that also looks at is a time in the 70s when it was much more socially acceptable to talk about neuroses and uh, mental ailments that people were going through. And when you tile that in with domestic life, you get it on the screen here. Yeah. Totally. Mental health, even though we've come a long way, I should say this, you know, cause I thought about this the other day in films, we've come a long way with mental health, but it's still something I think that a vast majority of people don't really address as much as they should. I mean, under addressed, underfunded. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there, I mean, there's obviously a lot of problems come from mental health and this film does deal with that in a very adult and grown up way. I mean, this is not a bombastic, super gory, supernatural horror film this is a you know and like i said a suspenseful thriller with some horror elements but it's a it's i thought it was a pretty pleasant if melancholy i agree with you experience uh, i really like the end of the film i like some of the stuff they were talking about with the uh, kind of therapeutic and the psychology uh kind of ways they were going about things it just felt like felt like there was a lot to go into there that they could have even went further with but obviously they tried to keep it under 90 minutes and I think it's a successful thing. I mean, I don't think it's a great movie. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't think it is great, and I think mileage may vary, but I yes. do think it's something people should check out. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, I would love to hear our lady friends over at the Feminine Critique talk about this female-centric horror as well. Yeah. Because they both have looked at sort of the scholarly pursuit of yeah, horror. They should, this whole, they should check out this whole box. Really? Yeah, I think they'd have fun with all of them, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of our very heavy uh, horror-tinged friends should definitely have this box. Definitely.
Yeah, yeah um, I'll go ahead and kick it over to you from MBT's make a break. Jeez, so we'll make a break. Um, I'm going to go with the direction, uh, just because I feel like this could have been a disaster in the wrong hands, and Schnitzer does a good job of conveying, I think, perfectly what needs to be conveyed. Like we said, the atmosphere of kind of the sad atmosphere of the film and what these mental or emotional ailments, uh, although, although amplified on the screen, what they really mean. Um, that was my MBT. My make or break was... I'm going to go with the first kind of quiet scene with Lynch and um, Barbara. The scene in the trailer? Yeah, I like that scene. That's a good scene, yeah. I like kind of running on the island and, you know, talking about what they're going to do. And they're not really played for, like, villains, per se. I mean, there's there's nuance to what's happening. Uh, my score is a 7.25. I, I really like this one, man. Uh, like I said, nice. it feels European at times. Um, good performances. It's just what I'm looking for at this point in the game. Nice, nice, yeah. Uh, my MVT, I'm going to go with uh, the blonde lead. I actually liked her performance nice. quite a bit, Sharon Farrell. I think she's going to hold it all together. Yeah, she kind of goes. I mean, I think both leads are great, but I think that, and, and Lynch is like, you know, it's a great, like, threesome. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it is it is a really well-acted uh, film from those three actors. But the, she really kind of goes through the, the kind of gamut of emotions, and I really liked her performance in the film. I'm My make or break, I'll be, I think I'll go with the, there's a scene toward the very end uh, involves some steps and a piano. Yes. And even though I always feel like it's a bit of a cheat when you say your make or break is a climactic scene. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I think it's it really paid off for it, me. Yeah. Because I thought, by the time we got there, I was like, wow, this is both, it makes sense and it absolutely makes no sense. In the some Fabian. Way. <laughs> yeah. Fabian styles. Yeah. The it's painting like, is, in this. Is it great? No. Is it awesome? A plus. Yeah, the painting is really cool, even though it looks nothing like the daughter. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, it doesn't. You know. <laughs> my score is right there with yours. A little nice. bit lower. I got, I gave it a seven out of ten. Cool. I think it's, it's a good it's score. Really good though. Really good stuff. And you know, I think this is the kind of horror film that you know. I, I just, I, I don't know. I guess maybe because of some of the stuff we've watched lately for the show, stuff like Blood Rage and things like that. Those <laughs> things are fun, but it's kind of nice to go back and watch these serious horror, right? Serious horror films, yeah, yeah with. You know, actors really, you know, given, in my opinion, award-worthy performances. You could tell. The, the, I, I would promise you that if Lynch mentions enjoying the film, also I should mention as a side, he said he loves one of his fa- one of the films that got him into film was Rafifi. But uh, <laughs> I think if you were to ask all the leads in this film, that it was for all of them, it kind of put them through the ringer a bit. It was emotionally draining. It has to be. Has to be. Yeah. yeah oh, totally. Yeah, because I mean, you're dealing with some, you know. Again, I think, you know, like I say, mileage may vary. You may, you may need, you may not need to have children, but you at least got to be, I think, cognizant or empathetic toward that feeling of, you know, I, I felt bad, even though the woman was crazy. There's no doubt in my mind that she was not suitable to be a mother. I still felt bad for her mm-hmm. to be in that position where you you give birth to this child and you can't raise this child. That's got to be a terrible. Child. Yeah, it's got to be a terrible situation to be in. And mm-hmm. but then the foster mom loves the child too. So mm-hmm. in that scenario, the real horror is you know who's right, who's wrong, and there really isn't no easy and the child answer. and the impact of yeah. the child. Yeah, there's no easy answer there, and uh, I found that I just found that very grown up theme. It just really kind of hit home. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was really good. I mean, I saw you know I saw like I said the husband he was kind of like there for some some you know drive his cool car and uh, you know like Sidney Pollock to me a little bit. Yeah, to remind me that he married Esther Williams when she was much older than him. But <laughs> hey, whatever. Peace, Earl. That's right. Dylan approves. Um, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back and maybe talk about Malatesta. Yeah, let's do Malatesta. Let's do that one. All right, we'll be right back. This is Red Brown. Jacoba! You're listening to Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Bring me to Jacoba! Jacoba! Cinema. I am tired. William, because me is tired. Sammy, we're in the energy, the high flyers of podcasting. Uh, next up is a film that does energize us. Uh, the second film of three in, uh, as we've talked about, the American Horror Project Volume One from Arrow Video. Uh, this one as we've already said a few times, is the most conventional horror film of the three. Um, but it's definitely still worth a watch. It feels very f- sort of fun and regional horror. And there's still some, some very uh, distinct flourishes with this one. Um, yeah. You know. It feels very influenced by like Night of the Living Dead and uh, 
Carnival of Souls, that kind of stuff. Totally, yeah, I totally got Carnival of Souls. Um, so the Norris family get jobs working at a seedy old carnival as a cover for searching for their missing son, who disappeared after visiting said carnival. Eccentric manager, Mr. Blood, turns out to be a vampire. The evil, evil owner, Malatesta, rules over a gaggle of ghostly ghouls who watch silent movies when they are yeah. feasting on human flesh. Yeah, that's pretty cool that they watch movies when they're not eating people. <laughs> 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 it's so bizarre. Oh, man, so ridiculous. <laughs> that was totally the way for Christopher Spieth, our director. To yeah, I shoot. think it's the only thing he ever did. Yeah, it says he's a cinematographer, but... Um, Mm-hmm. Only shot two things. Yeah. Um, Tammy Hall reflections, whatever that is. And kind video. Of a shame because I think there's some, you know, I think there's some some talent here. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, uh, obviously it's rough, but I think it's there. I've seen less talented people work more. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe quite a few people now. Doris Wishman, Al Adamson. You know. <laughs> oh God! Don't you, yeah, don't you, yeah. Adamson's one of the. One of the great untalented filmmakers. <laughs> no, I mean, not, 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 I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I like some of that stuff. So do I. Absolutely. Yeah, but certainly, it, it comes with its caveats, right? So yes. I can lead on this one if you if you want me to. Cool. There's not really anybody in the cast to talk about Hervey. outside of uh, Hervey Villachez, really. Yeah. And Scott did Hervey. Yeah, and there's an actor in there who also did something on the Conan O'Brien show for years that I read about that I didn't know, but. I didn't know. I didn't know that's what he did. So that's bizarre. All I can really say about this one is what's really cool about this one is it's it's definitely regional horror. It's shot in Pennsylvania at a place called Williams Grove uh, Amusement Park. I think Todd used to work there at the Peach Baskets. Uh, oh, did he? Something yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, have, you never know. Zipper. Well, Sean was working his zipper. <laughs> you know, just we got a lot of friends, and we got a lot of friends in the Penn the State. They could have been. Uh, you know, they could have been all where I'd gone to Williams Grove, and I think it closed down. Like uh, I can't remember when it closed down. Uh, there's there's pictures of it online, all dilapidated. It's still it's still there. It's just not running anymore. So what happens when you have a, a vampire running your carnival? Yeah, yeah. Pro yeah. tip number one: you work for somebody named Mister Blood. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you might wanna, you know, you might wanna say, whoa, maybe maybe something did happen to our brother here. I don't know. Yeah, that pseudonym. <laughs> Who kind of looks like he kind of looks like a mix of like. Frazier and uh, <laughs> like uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. It's like a basketball coach. I was like George Carl or something. Oh man, yeah, no, he does. But he he does kind of got that vibe and stuff. And he, he he's he's good in the film. Uh, I don't think he's a super talented actor. But again, of course, Hervey's in here just barely. He's this is 1973, so um, you know he's just kind of starting to make his mark on pop culture in a lot of ways. I can never think of Hervey now without picturing him sitting. On a naked Mary Warnov's knee in that one photo that's floating around the internet. Yeah, yeah. he was—he was quite the ladies' man. Hervey was. Yeah, he was. Um, a lot I, of women liked. Uh, well, he—he got—he saw a lot of action. Hervey. Yeah, saw a lot of action. Hope they didn't get any Herbies. <laughs> <laughs> he got around quite a bit. Yeah. Did. Uh, so this film is essentially, it is a ghoul film. Uh, yes. We don't really talk about these type of films much. I don't. I wouldn't say it's undead because there is a slight difference between ghouls and the undead. Yes. This one is kind of weird, though, because the ghouls are kind of like all around and like the family that's there, they kind of really don't, they kind of recognize that there's something wrong with these people, but they 
they're kind of oblivious to it too. It's, it's not like, like we'll talk. Yeah. Like, you know, I think I would be like, Hey, there's something wrong with that one dude that's carrying the broom around stick. I think it's called stick. There's something wrong with that guy. <laughs> hey, what's, uh, what's Brown and sticky? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> the stick. <laughs> there's a lot of things I can name Brown that are Brown and sticky. And sticky. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that ghoul, that ghoul, that uh, custodian, is he the one with the hook hand? Uh, no, that's the other guy. That's another guy. That's another guy that's kind of a, a helper of the ghoul. That's the worst hook hand. It is the, it it, is the it's worst funny, hook actually, hand in the, commentary. in the history of cinema, man. Yeah, actually, in the commentary track, yeah. it often makes me wonder if people, you know, that do these commentary stunts listen to this show. Because in the commentary track, the guy, the guy says... This is easily the worst hook hand in the history of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> he says that on the commentary. Oh, I, man, I got quite amazing. a couple out of that. Whenever you <laughs> see, man, whenever you have a hook hand, you can't have your hand, like, do you do the old hand up the sleeve trick? You can't have your hook hand be like a foot and a half longer than your other arm. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. Yeah, and you can't have you can't be wearing white where you can see like the bunched up fist. Bunched up fist. Like, on the sleeve. You know, you can see like the knuckle of the thumb and. Oh man! It's really yeah. It's it's a terrible hook hand. It's one of the worst I've ever seen. Easily, it is. Um, <laughs> this film isn't much interested in narrative. I mean, there is a story here. I know our good friend Josh didn't like this movie. No, uh, I, I liked it enough. I liked it enough too. I don't think it was terrible. I think uh, I don't think it's obviously it's not. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's not a, a Malik film. Although I'd love to see Malik's Malatesta's Carnival of Blood. <laughs> uh, that'd be amazing. But. I think with the location and the mixture of the location, the kind of rudimentary <laughs> special effects, the blue face ghouls. They're like, they're like totally. That's the blue face thing is where I get like Night of the Living Dead from. Yeah. Like Dawn, yeah, of, the yeah. Dead. Dawn of the Dead uh, yeah. and all that stuff, right? So Dawn of the Dead was like, what, three years after this? This is 73. So. Yeah. Maybe that's right, right? 76 was Dawn of the Dead, right? I believe it was, or 75, 76? 76 I would trust your memory really. better than mine at this point. Yeah. I think, I think, I think I'm right. And Day was I, I, or 81? Yeah, give me hang on one second. I gotta make. I have a conversation real quick. Yeah. You go ahead and go. I will. Uh, it's funny. Sammy mentioned uh, Mr. Blood, of course, uh, being sort of the George Carl Fraser Crane love child, which is pretty accurate, especially as look at a screenshot. But the the love child I got was not as good as George Carl. Uh, Roger Corman, Michael Ironside, but. Uh, yeah, Mr. Blood, he's uh, not taking care of business, uh, carnival business, that is. Um, this film, in some ways, feels to me like a much more intense version of like a Scooby-Doo mystery. I think it would work well as a Scooby-Doo episode if they kind of scaled back some of the intensity. Um, we had mentioned this, I don't know if it was off the air or not, but you get a lot of production value from being able to shoot it, a rundown theme park. There's been a lot of horror films over the years that have uh, used theme parks or th- theme park scenes, but if you have a limited budget and you have, uh, excuse me, if you have a limited budget and you have unlimited access to something like this, it, you'd be wise and well served to really um, take advantage of that and get more production value, which they do. I think they use the the, the carnival quite well throughout the film. Um, contrary to what um, Josh thinks, uh, in my opinion, shot in Georgia. And the reason I say this, let me take a look. I'm guessing. 
Oh, man, we just said Pennsylvania. Why did I fucking mention Georgia like I was some genius? See, I had thought they shot this in Georgia because there's a scene at the carnival where they have a BB gun, like a shooting contest, and there's a bunch of Georgia Bulldogs uh, as prizes. So I thought, oh, clearly this is in Georgia. But we just went through this whole thing about how it was at Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. So, so much for that. Yeah, uh, I'm back. Sorry about that. That's okay. I was just mentioning how uh, I thought that blood looked more like kind of a weird Michael Ironside, Roger Corman love child, but I like the George Carl comparison. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what all you talked about while I was away. But. Uh, I just said that mostly blood, uh, production value from shooting at the carnival, and that it felt to me like a more intense Scooby-Doo episode in some ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everybody's a little off, right? Like all the characters bit. that work at the carnival are just a little off. There's no one really likable in this film either. Maybe no, there is a female lead, but her parents are pretty. Not her. You know, they're not her parents. The the parents, right? Mm-hmm. Are they her mm-hmm. parents? Yeah, they're her parents. So it's her her and her mom and wrong. dad go to work there. They're pretty miserable, aren't they? Because they're trying to find out what happened. Yeah, they're trying to find out what happened to their son. Yeah, I know, and I mean that's grounds for grumpiness, but they're pretty cranky, man. Yeah, they are. They are. Yeah, I kind of like the, the the young female lead though. I kind of liked her. She, she was a. Uh, Kind of weirdly, kind of homely, kind of cute in a weird way mm-hmm. for me. And uh, I thought she did pretty well. But yeah, to get back to the ghouls and stuff, I don't know if you got into that, but I didn't get into the ghastly ghouls. The ghastly ghouls. The funny thing about the ghastly ghouls in this is, is that we said this in the beginning is that they, if they're not eating people, they're kind of creating like weird, like modern art out of Volkswagen dance, or. <laughs> Or or they're watching oh, silent films. You know, they're yeah. the film snobs. Film snob ghouls. We should do a ghastly ghouls film on a Toys for Tots episode. <laughs> but you know, yeah. right? The, the Volkswagen stuff was actually pretty cool. I thought it was. It was. Yeah. From what I understand, it was like some type of a local art project, and they kind of just they kind of just used it. And because it's so kind of bizarre and original, it looks really cool. It almost looks Cronenberg-like in a weird way. What's that? Cronenberg. Almost yeah, a little bit of Cronenberg. It almost feels like there's some, like some tissue to it or something, like a kind of a liveliness to the weird Volkswagen shoot. <laughs> I like, uh, I really like that stuff. Uh, like you, and I like that you mentioned Cronenberg because the beat of Volkswagen stuff feels like um, that kind of art installation with like the huge brain and scanners. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it was like. I know they just kind of commandeered that stuff. Like, it was kind of donated to them to use it. And I guess it was just kind of so bizarre. It kind of worked for what they Spieth was kind of going for, which was kind of this bizarre kind of visual film. I mean, this film doesn't have a whole lot of flair, but it does have some interesting, like, unique visuals. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ghouls looking at the silent film alone is 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 pretty cool. I mean, I, I don't know what they're watching. It looked like it was the, that those pieces of the golem again, but... Durr. Golem. Yeah, Der Gollum. Uh, Der Gollum, Der Bay. <laughs> um, but uh, I can't really tell exactly what it was, and I didn't really kind of go into research and try to find out. But I did find it interesting that they would be watching films as opposed to, you know, I guess that's how Mr. Blood controls his ghouls, by showing them silent movies. I love it. It's the soothe the savage beast, or I guess soothe. What would be, it's to keep the alliteration, I was going to say soothe the ghastly ghoul, but uh, to... What these, what this movie reminds me of is the kind of movies that I would kind of stumble upon, like as a, you know, like a video store junkie. Cable like, you know, or a video store, yeah. Yeah, going to the video store on a weekend. I've talked about this often, where we didn't have a VCR at first. We've, we would rent a player, 
and you know you rent a player and you get like six movies and that'd be like 20 or 30 bucks right yeah and so you know every week you know we try to we, we pick obviously you end up watching a lot of films over and over again because you end up you know hanging out with your buds watching movies you're not supposed to be watching eating pizza you know good times for a kid but every now and then you want to roll the dice and what we would do is like every weekend one of us would get the opportunity you know we pick five films that we all knew we were going to love or at least thought we were going to love, or, you know, favorites, Donna, yeah. stuff like that. But then somebody would always get the opportunity to pick a random, you know, just a random go by the cover of the film, which is which was always fun, because sometimes you found gems. Like, that's how I found the Iron Master, and I found uh, oh, the, uh, quite a few Italian films that way, actually. Yeah, yeah. Burial Ground. I found Burial Ground nice. that way, which we kind of talked about off the air. And then I, I found uh, a film called Rama. I think it was like a, like a almost like a... Uh, like a, a cave-dwelling like creature from Black Lagoon film. I can remember the film, oh. but I can't remember what it was completely called. Oh, I've never even heard it. It was terrible. But I remember you know, being so excited about it because the monster looked pretty good, I thought, but it was not good. I remember there was a film, I think it was called Fangs. Was it Fangs? I think it was Fangs. That's the one where the girl had sex with a snake. I don't know. Yeah, I think it was. And I think it's a Koskinski one. Anyway, uh, I would find stuff like that. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Great days. That was the great days because, you know, we didn't really have the Internet. And, and we had, you know, there was Leonard Maltin's movie guide and stuff like that. But he didn't cover everything. You know, no. he'd cover a lot of stuff. But, you know, Leonard Maltin's not really known for his genre coverage as much as, like, say, uh, you know, some of these other video guys that would come out later. And uh, that's how we kind of stumbled upon these films. And, you know, that's kind of the birth in a lot of ways of a lot of us that love these films so much, these kind of off the beaten path movies. Cause I think about that all the time. My wife, she never really went to video stores by the time she did. But by the time she went, she, you were just, you went to get the new releases, right? I mean, I can remember going to the video store and there only being one copy of a new release. Oh, of course. You know? But by yeah. the time my wife started going normally, there'd be 20 copies of a new release. So she always got to see a new release. But for me and my brother, We'd have to wait two or three weeks sometimes to get a hold of the new release unless we knew the video store owner. So we ended up watching, you know, crappy horror movies or science fiction movies or whatever. You know, Rawhead Rex, stuff like that. Just anything yes, we could get our hands on. That was a big on. one for me. Yeah. Anything we could get our hands on. And our mom would, who didn't have any filter, you know, I spit on your grave. I mean, she never knew what that stuff was. <laughs> I laugh at it all oh the time. Like, she was so oblivious. Or maybe she wasn't. Maybe she was just that kind of mom. Maybe she was just like, ah, you know, these kids are—they got pretty good. If this is the worst they're doing, then yeah, yeah. they could be out. You know, because we did have a lot of friends that went out on the weekends and would sneak out of the house and get on their bikes and do the the crazy pre-teenage thing where you feel like you got all this freedom and you know the world's still safe, a quote-unquote safe place in your head. Oh yeah. But anyway, that's all beside the point. But this feels like one of those kind of films. That feels like one of those films that we'd have saw in that golden age of. The, uh, it reminds me of like those kind of dusk-like evenings in the summer and watching movies with my friends, eating pizza, and uh, having a good time and talking about it because it's so kind of bizarre. Now, there's not really a lot of like – there's not like a lot of golden moments in the film. Like there's – Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of crown jewel kind of signature moments. Yeah, nothing we can really kind of poke fun at and have a lot of fun with. Yeah. Uh, nothing like that. But I think – what I did like about it, and this will be my last note about it, is that it's a unique vision, and it kind of holds that vision all the way through. Mm-hmm. I agree. Is it is it a perfect vision? No, I think it's an imperfect vision, but I think it's, I think it works. But I also can see like where Josh was coming from on Facebook. I can see where he's coming from. Where for some people, this is going to be one of the worst movies they watch if they decide to watch it this year. Well, I've watched some 
some shit. I don't think this is in that league. But yeah, no, this is Throne. Yeah, yeah, Teeth Throne. Like yeah, like we always say, but this one is definitely not the worst movie I've seen this year. Oh <laughs> no, I can tell you that right now. But uh, I watched forty minutes of San Andreas, and that was uh, ten times worse than uh, yeah than uh, uh, all what eighty minutes of this. <laughs> oh no doubt. I mean, there was nothing in San Andreas that I hadn't seen before, and I love The Rock. I love Carla Gugino. I love Alexa. Uh, what's her name? Daddario. What's her name? Something Daddario. That young girl that was in True Detective. Oh, I'm not sure. I can. She, she was the one that had uh, the affair with Woody Harrelson's detective. Young girl, kind of big chested. Anyway. Oh, huh. Yeah. Anyway, the sad point. Yeah. It's, uh, something with Daddario. So I, I can't remember first. Something with A. Anyway. Um. That film's terrible. Don't watch that. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'll kick it over to you, man. See what you think of Christopher Spee's uh, masterpiece. Oh, I know the one you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know the one I mean. Yeah. That's what I should say about this film, too, man. It's unique. I mean, what, what else can you ask for? Very you know, unique. Yeah, also, is this, this film has a terrible gypsy. Well, it has a cross-dressing gypsy, right? Yeah. Or is it supposed to be a woman? They're telling us with a straight face it's a woman. The gypsy tarot, man. Yeah, it's just cross-dressing gypsy in it. It's, uh, you get the tarot cards out and stuff. Yeah. Not quite the, uh, you know, Nikos, uh, you know, the uh, anthropophagus uh, tarot card reading. No. It just goes bad. It goes from worse to bad. Bad to worse. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it, man. This, uh, how about this, man? That Windmill Films production. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I just think it's a real shame that sometimes filmmakers like this come along and they make one film and they never really get an opportunity to make another one. I mean, at least the guy had an original Vision. bone in his body, you know? Yes. No, I agree. I totally agree. Um, what else do we got? I mean, this is 73, too. This is early in the in the cycle of uh, low-budget horror films. Uh, probably right after Night of the Living Dead and Carnival of Souls and stuff like that. And I forget something. I mean, this is probably being shot in 72, 71, 72. Yeah, or even earlier. Early. Stretched it out because they didn't have money. I mean, you know. Um, the ma- mother in this looked like Morton Downey Jr. <laughs> and her husband looked like Toby Hooper. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. Oh, I was also saying I thought I was so smart because I thought they shot this in Georgia. Because during the BB gun like target practice thing, they had all these Georgia Bulldogs as prizes. Oh, so yeah. I was a yeah. fucking detective. I'm like, oh, they clearly shot it in Georgia. I even said it on the air, and then I, I realized, I'm like, wait a second, we just both had a, an extensive conversation about this being shot in Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. I'm pretty sure it was Pennsylvania. Yeah, I think Williams Grove, was, Pennsylvania yeah. is where the uh, Williams Grove uh, Amusement Park was in yeah, Pennsylvania. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it's really neat. I know a lot about this film because I watched the commentary track, and it's really, really good. I think I mentioned that, but I'm going to mention it again. It's really good. I mean, it's worth on the disc alone for the commentary track because it has a ton of great trivia and interesting things in it but if you look closely in the movie they're starting to kind of convert that amusement park over to a western theme park like uh you know western. like a shootout at the okay corral type thing and you can look and you can see kind of western themes kind of popping up in spots it's, it's crazy very that park was opened from 1850 yeah until 2005 what a shame yeah that it's closed down like i say um, i think i think there's still pictures of it online it's all dilapidated and stuff now and maybe some of our uh, Pennsylvania listeners can fill us in on it, you know. Yeah, I'm sure some of them know about it. They have to. Uh, it's in Mechanics. 50. Jeez. I know, right? Man. That's crazy. 
It's crazy. Um, yeah, I think the blue show is a good amount of kind of the garish design of the the ghouls. And I have to say, on a shoestring budget, I think they get pretty inventive and kind of go for it with the way they dress up their sets. Yeah. Some of the uh, stuff, like in yeah, the, the, the production design. Really I think Spieth was involved in all that stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the DOP, I think, does a really good job with limited skill set, admittedly, but it's never like boom mic in the frame kind of bullshit. Um, the sound. Yeah, more like car headlights, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the sound is pretty good on the disc. Like, there's a moment when some chicken's bubbling in oil that sounds disgusting. <laughs> yeah. This one, we should also say, this one probably looks the roughest of the three yes. releases. Yeah, but I think that's also hampered by how many sort of interiors that are in the dark, mm-hmm. you know, in the film. Um, well, that, and I think it's just such an obscure piece that yeah. it probably never was very well taken care of. For sure. Uh, Vampire Shadow at the, the, the Carnival trailer. I really like that image. You know, oh, yeah, good. that works. I think, it too, it's kind of a cool thing. It plays with the urban myth about carnivals and traveling circuses and the mistrust of outsiders. Yeah. I kind of like that. Uh, it's an interesting that it hasn't been tapped enough. Um, it's kind of weird. I just realized that there's a carnival in the first two films we talked about. I, when I watched them, I didn't even realize the two films had the carnival. And now, yeah. And now here we are talking about them. There's a carnival in both films. I didn't even realize it. Yeah, and two of the films feel like they're, they're about like broken up families. Well, I guess all three are about broken up families. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, totally. it's crazy. Um, we talked about the cross-dressing gypsy... And there's a time before there was kind of heightened artifice in films. Like, they don't mask the cracks and the peeling paint, and they kind of use it to their advantage to make this feel really authentic. Um, yeah, they, they don't, they don't uh, like, I know they didn't redo any of the rides or any of the attractions. Any of those are the originals, so you can see the water's pretty murky and dirty, and, like, there's a tunnel of love that looks like a filthy tunnel of love. I would not go in that thing. No. Oof. The water looks septic. It does. That's <laughs> gross. It totally man. does. Uh, there's, you know what else is kind of good is there's like some decent, like the score is kind of decent. There's like this pulsing way ahead of its time synth stuff. Mm-hmm. I like, um, I was worried watching this cause I knew Josh hated it so much and I was worried. I gotta be honest with you. I was worried going into it, but it's just short enough where it works. I agree. And it's just, you know, short enough. It's just lacking enough narrative where it works. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, for sure. I agree. Um, I have a quote. I don't know what it means. I'm not going to even comment on it. Uh, ambitious production we talked about. It was very surreal at times. Um, I have here bizarre wooden doll child. I don't know. <laughs> uh, again, another thing for Emily to talk about. Another Emily thing. And again, Suspiria. This weird dreamlike wet pavement, running in a nightgown at night sequence with the daughter. Yeah, I like that sequence. Yeah, I think it reminds me of like the Piazza scene in Deep Red or, so, you know, some of the late stuff at late at night and some of the Italian stuff. Um, and then like the love interest is kind of like this low-rent regional Joe D'Alessandro. <laughs> a regional Joe D'Alessandro. What is <laughs> <laughs> every region has a Joe D'Alessandro. Every, every let me tell you. has a Joe D'Alessandro for sure. Uh, I knew a few of those dudes growing up. <laughs> yeah, it didn't me all, man. Um, not much of a thrust in the film, which we kind of mentioned being a Joe D'Alessandro. Uh, 
<laughs> no, I mean, there isn't much of a thrust. I mean, it's essentially, it is what it is. It's a theme park set, uh, ghoul, walking around, kind of silly in some ways. Mm-hmm. Nobody's running, but the ghoul's kind of slow walk. They're definitely overacting, but it works. <laughs> yeah. I like the fangs in this, too. They're low rent, but I've seen worse low-budget fangs in these. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, another film we'll talk about on the next show has some pretty bad fangs. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a pretty good wooden stake. With yeah, it does. Fang, uh, <laughs> hanging a fang on that, man. <laughs> He's barely hanging on to his fangs. Yeah, his fangs going to fall out of his mouth. Um, <laughs> something's going to go in. Uh, so the syringe for the blood consumption, I like that. That was a good idea. And what have I noticed about De Palma here? Oh, there's a gel lens shot reminded me of De Palma. Um, yeah, lots of kind of craft store set design stuff, but it works well. And uh, we get some Japanese arterial spray in this one, actually. Mm-hmm. Vampire on a merry-go-round. Yeah. <laughs> Can't uh, ask for much more than that. That's what you want. You go to a carnival that's owned by a guy named Mr. Blood. Yeah, that's right. Well, later on we have uh, what's the tattoo shop owner's name? Like, uh, Peter Dracula or something? Or <laughs> some of the next film? Yeah, yeah. Something. I don't remember what his Peter name is. Dracula but... or something? Yeah. I don't remember what his name was. I remember that he was a comedian before he was in that movie, though. Before he had fake tattoos all over his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a credit for this film from a man named Richard Grosser, and it was Dick Grosser. Dick Grosser, man. That's an unfortunate name. Yeah, especially when you go to school and they read it out backwards. Yeah. Gross dick. Well, I guess grosser is better than gross. I mean, I guess. Grosser? I don't know. Gross than grosser. Gross (laughs) is. I don't don't know. Yeah, I guess guess maybe not. Grosser is the more, you know. (laughs) You could say grosser at least. You could say gross. Who knows? I, I certainly would. I was like, no, it's Grosser. Grosser. It's Grosser. Yeah. <laughs> Grossier. Grossier. Uh, what does this say? There's some bizarre credit for Dick Grosser. It's psychoacoustics or something. Or Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, I guess that's going to make or break MVTs and all that jazz. Okay. Um, i make or break. Uh, I'll go with the scene in front of the, the silent movie screen. I like that scene. I like uh, quite a bit of you know extras in there. The ghouls are like there. It really, it really, uh, kind of a. There's a lot of cool like moments in the film. I mean, that's just one of them. But I like that wet pavement. That girl ran on the wet pavement scene that you it. talked about. Um, the kind of cool amusement park shots. I mean, there's all kinds of great moments. Uh, in a kind of a subpar film, but it's not subpar, but but kind of a par film, I guess I could say. Par, 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 <laughs> but uh, I like that scene it really looks cool Uh, the location is my MVT I mean that's easy for me because really there's nobody really overacting or acting really super well in the film I mean I guess it's passable the acting and the direction is fine I could give it to the director too but he didn't do anything else really and you know as much as I like what he did with this little thing I think I gotta give it to the location because it adds a whole lot to the whole movie oh yeah if he was making the film and like uh, something that wasn't as memorable yeah you know, definitely. Yeah. And I give it a 6.5 out of 10. Nice. I don't think it's terrible, but it's no. it's certainly not below average. No, I agree. Uh, make or break my scene is the wet pavement scene. I really like that. It feels very dreamy. You can, pretty, you can do something that feels like 70s Argento. You're doing something well. Yeah, that scene's cool. I remember I was watching that, and I 
watched that scene, and I remember I liked it so much that I actually rewound it and went back and watched it again. So that could easily be my make or break, but I like that silent movie footage. It's always cool to see characters watch silent movie footage. Yeah, totally. Uh, MVT location is, we're pretty similar on this. Uh, MVT is location. It works quite wonderfully, and my score is also a 6.5 out of 10. It's a good one, not a great one. Nice little addition, and a nice little kind of curio. I think it's someone like Mike Ensley and people that are into like the history of carnival you know people that are into all that stuff i think would really dig this i will say if you listen to the commentary track it'd probably take it up a whole point because it's really good oh no doubt so if you're a big you know if you're a big extras guy if you're listening to the show and you know you you kind of sometimes i kind of base my purchases on how much how much extras are in there unless i really love a movie and i want to watch the movie over and over again sometimes i like the extras just as much as the movie but i can tell you that if you're a big extras person this is worth your this is worth your money Totally. The whole set is, because the whole set's got uh, commentary tracks on every film and, and interviews and everything. It's really good. Yeah, no, they're definitely, uh, definitely, again, I know we always bang that drama there, but just they put so much quality into it. So, mm-hmm. um, All right, let's take the short break and come back, and we're going to wrap up this episode with... Um, the Witch Who Came From The Sea. Yes. Try find my notes. I will be right back. One dark and stormy night in the mid-80s, Joe Bob Briggs, Harlan Ellison, and the ghost of El Santo pulled a train on Elvira while Siskel and Ebert sobbingly masturbated in the corner. From that union arose the greatest movie critic and luchador that ever lived. But we're not going to talk about him. He's kind of a dick. Instead, we're going to talk about me, El Goro, the stuttering movie fan and host of the Talk Without Rhythm podcast. Every week on Talk Without Rhythm, I discuss two to three movies tangentially tied together by a theme. I cover action. And the most complete fighter in the world. Sci-fi. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Horror. Oh, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. And the continuing adventures of James Spader, sexual deviant. You're not worried that I'm going to fuck you, are you? I'm not interested in that, and I'm waste. Now pull up your skirt. So check me out at TWORpodcast.blogspot.com, drunkenzombie.com, or subscribe on iTunes. Talk Without Rhythm, the only podcast that will not attract the world. Adios.
gang. Welcome back to the show. It's our third film of the evening. Once again, for those of you that are just joining us, and although I don't know why you would be just joining us and just opt to skip the first two reviews, but if you are, this is the American Horror Project, Volume 1. Yes. Brought to you by Arrow Video. Uh, third film in this set is probably the most talked about film in the set, um, I would say. It's the one I at least knew the title for. Um, the yeah, Witch. everybody kind of wanted us to talk about it. Too. Yeah, people felt like this was... The most GGTMC of the... Yeah, the... yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're going to talk about The Witch Who Came From the Sea, which, no pun intended... <laughs> Uh, is directed by, um, forgive Matt me, Simber. Matt Simber, Candy Can Dream Man fame, that's right. Um, he also directed, uh, I think he did a, didn't he do another black exploitation film? I know Jonathan Kaplan did a bunch, and I kind of mixed them up. Um, let me just, uh, yeah, Kaplan's a better filmmaker. Kaplan's than a, yeah, I know, Kaplan's a, a solid filmmaker. Solid. Matt Simber, he did uh, The Black Six. Oh, yes, 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 which is okay. Oh, he did Butterfly, the Piazzadora, Stacey Keach incest. Oh, film, which nice. Which I'm, is. I'm a, I'm a oh, big wow. fan of. <laughs> Never seen that. It's kind of interesting. Looks like he did a couple of barbarian, female barbarian films with uh, Lorreen Landon as well. The uh, one. Uh... Oh, he's the one. He, oh, he was with. Uh... I didn't know that. He was married to Jane Mansfield at one point. Oh, seriously? Wow. Well, so. There's 189 plot keywords for this. Yeah. Well, that would make sense because it really does cover the the whole shebang when it comes to horror. There's just about everything done in this movie. Yeah, there sure is. <laughs> there I sure is. I people wanted, I wanted to talk about because of the GGTMC type aspect of it because the, the movie opens on Venice Beach. Yeah, it does. And it's got some very GGTMC opening. Uh, I want to be forthright uh, in saying that I I really, really love this film. Oh, yeah? Okay. I really love this film. I think it is the best of the three, yes. Um, and a lot of 189 keywords. Um, so Matt Simber, as we said, the man behind the camera. or the This man. might be Matt Simber's golden moment, though. I mean, I, I liked Candy Tangerine Man, but... It, it, but it's not like a... a an all-time yeah. black exploitation film. No, I think it was more of a holy grail for a long time. Yeah, I think it was because it was so hard to see, and even when we could see it, as the missing show, we we know we we could barely see it even when we saw it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm very keen to see what uh, what the Blu-ray looks the like. The Blu-ray like looks like. It. Now here's the but thing. Go ahead. The, the thing with him, Matt Simber. I think I've seen the Black Six. I know I've seen one of those Lorraine Landon. I think it was Yellow Hair. I think I've seen that one, but. Uh, yeah, he's not a super and Butterfly. I like that one too. I mean, he even worked with. I mean, Jesus. I mean, Orson Welles is in Butterfly. But of course, everybody ended up working with Orson Welles toward the back end. But yeah, I mean, he worked with some big names. And going now, I know he was. You know, had a child with uh, Jane Mansfield. I didn't know that. I didn't Box, know any of this stuff. Box Wine Companies worked with Orson Welles at the back end of his career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anybody worked with yeah. Orson Welles at the back end of his career, but. The uh, this might be his golden moment, though. I mean, I like some of those other films, but uh, this might be his most pure vision. I haven't seen everything, but this might be his most pure one. Also, big hand in this one. There's a few more big hands we got to mention. I think we're talking about this film. Robert Tom wrote it. Yes. Coincidentally, the 
husband, husband of, the lead. Of, of Millie Perkins, the lead in this at the time. Who's most known for playing Anne Frank. Anne Frank. The Diary of Anne Frank. Yes. Uh, and this, you see a lot of Anne Frank. You certainly do. Uh, he also wrote Bloody Mama, the Shelley Winters film, Phantom of Hollywood. He wrote Death Race 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was uh, he was right in there working during that golden period of exploitation. Wrote yeah. some pretty important films. Yeah, big time. And he wrote this for his wife, pretty much. I mean, uh, this is obviously something she wouldn't have normally done. She wasn't known for this type of material. So. Oh, so there had to be faith on her part. That she was doing something for him, and he wrote it for her. But what does it say about them? They got divorced. Um, who knows? It's it's a fascinating, fascinating film for me. And yeah. shot by Dean Cundy as well. That was the next name I was going to man- mention. The the DOP of the GGTMC, Mr. Cundy. Yeah. <laughs> who I think at the time he was given like an associate or assistant credit, but. It's revealed that he he did shoot uh, a good chunk of it, whereas the actual sort of principal DOP ended up just shooting porn mostly. Yeah, he when he first started out, that's kind of the way I think. The, from what I understand from reading Graydon Clark's book and stuff, Dean Cundy when he started out, he he got a lot of work because he was a guy that him and this other guy owned a van and they had all kinds of equipment. In it. That's right, and Cundy talks about that on this disc. There's a nice little interview with him where he talks about having all these lenses that no one else had, custom lenses, could shoot yeah. stuff wide. And he would great. get work because he had this equipment, right? And these yeah. low budget, these low budget uh, productions, they didn't have money for this equipment, so mm-hmm. they would hire Dean Cundy because he would have all this stuff. So it was pretty pretty smart. It was like him and another guy in a van and. Uh, Pretty smart. Of course, you know, he would go on to become, obviously, he'd go on to become one of the greatest cinematographers, arguably. I don't think arguably. I think easily he's one of the top ten cinematographers of all time. I love him, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, most you think about some of the films he shot. I mean, I mean, he shot some of the you know most important films of our youth, easily, and of our lives. So, oh. and even uh, the generation past us, some mm-hmm. of them, you know, so. Here's a couple pieces of trivia for you. Another GGTMC favorite, George Buckflower in it. Yes, yes, George Buck. He evidently he brought some people along with us when he like had a casting agency or something. He was a casting agent on this film. <laughs> and here's a disturbing fact. Flower cast his own daughter as the young Molly in the disturbing flashback sequences in the film. Yeah, you gotta have a lot of faith in the psychology and the mental health of your daughter to do that. Good lord. Yeah, this was originally I would have lo- I don't know if the, I don't know if it's said, maybe it is said. But the film originally, when it was screened, got an X rating from the MPAA. Good night, babe. And, uh. Good night, babe. Love Um They had to make a lot of cuts to get it down to an R rating. Yeah, and I can see that because this deals with. Uh, there's a lot of mutilation, uh, a lot of sexual mutilation. Um, it's, 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 it's pretty nasty in spots. It's nasty. Film. It was a bit yeah. nasty. Yeah, it's, it's, it's surprisingly. Uh, gory and nasty it's it's an intense film and someone had mentioned to me that they felt like perkins performance can be mentioned and i think even thrower might say it might say it in this introduction of the film can be mentioned alongside like uh, carol kane in the mafu cage i think that film's a little bit little bit better in some ways but it's a little more a to b whereas this is a little more layered but perkins really delivers like a powerhouse intense performance in this film yeah She's the focal point of the movie, and she brings it. She does bring it, and I think, and I don't mean this to sound chauvinistic, so forgive me if this does. Being a 
physically capable grown man. You know, I'm 205 pounds, you know, exercise, sports, ex-special forces. Uh, <laughs> I was hoping you'd put that in there. I, was, I didn't know if you were going to let the listeners know. Yeah. Ex-Canadian special forces. Canadian special forces. Mounting regime. Pancake parasailing. Uh, paratrooper. <laughs> pancake paratrooper, I should say. <laughs> Fuck, I'm a little uh, bit of Christopher Cross there. Parasailing. Yeah, how are you going to ask me again, man? Uh, what's brown and sticky? I say that maple trooper. That maple trooper, yeah. That's right. Brown and sticky. Um, stick. Uh yeah, I don't think of, I can't think of very much. It's much more sticky than maple syrup. Oh no, maybe molasses. Except that's about for it. canned peach juice, which we'll talk about next week. Yeah, canned peach juice is very sticky. Yeah, that, that once that gets in there, it gets in there pretty good. When it gets, and in. man, it gets in there. It gets in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, but Millie Perkins really, and to get back to what I was saying about not wanting to come across as chauvinistic, but. And I'm not the kind of guy that thinks I could go in the ring with, like, um, <laughs> Donnie Yen or something, you know? Yeah, or a female MMA fighter and be like, oh, I'm up the floor with her. Yeah. I would get, you know. Get <laughs> I would I would probably hurt. be wiped out. I'd, be, I'd get hurt. Yeah. But, punch me. I'd be like, what are you doing that for? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, just no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Millie Perkins is a small, like a slight woman. She's a meek. She's a meek-looking woman. Looking yeah, woman. She's a not, not it's a powerful performance, but she is a very small, meek-looking uh, woman. Yet and, unnerved me. It unnerved yes. me it, to the point where I would be a little bit. Well, she she has dead eyes in this film. She does, but it's almost like there's this. This is really a good performance. Like I know I keep saying that, but when I think about moments in this film and where she is mentally as she's doing things in the film, and yeah. When you see some reveals, it's uh, it's pretty dark stuff, man. It's, it's really heavy stuff. I mean, it deals with some some stuff that you know we don't talk about on the show very often, but it is part of the exploitation genre. Yeah, and that's you know child abuse and incest and things like that. So, right. yeah, with one of the creepiest scenes in this whole set is the dad in the closet. Oh, that is one of the most disgusting scenes. Yeah, <laughs> that scene put me on like. It was like, ugh, what is going on here? What am I watching? Yeah, I know. It's super gross. I hope these guys, I hope our GGTMC fans were not like, this is a very GGTMC moment. That That's not the moment I'm hoping. I mean, the Venice Beach uh, guys getting hung by the, uh, the the rings of death there and all that kind of stuff. That's GGTMC. That is a very GGTMC scene. Um, and, yeah, it's weird. Like, uh, I, it looks, and, again, where I was sort of mentioned Bob Rafelson, it feels like a dark kind of, like, sort of the beach stuff reminds me of King of Marvin Gardens at the Atlantic City kind of beach, but it just, yeah, it's it's kind of, and the way it kind of blurs reality, I mean, later on we kind of get, I think as, I think as um, Millie Perkins, Molly, Millie is Molly, uh, Molly, um, as the film goes on, it becomes more evident what's real and what's not, but early on things are kind of uh, blurred, a little bit. Not that we think that she's killing the guys on the beach, but there's there's some sort of stuff that happens that toggles back and forth with her, and it's uh, yeah. Millie doesn't uh, Millie doesn't like men very much. No, she doesn't. She but she adores her nephews Tad and Tripoli, and I'll always remember those names. They're such unique names, Tad and Tripoli. Yeah, I wonder. If I can. I, I knew a Tad growing up, but I got to tell you, I've never known a Tripoli. Nor have I. <laughs> Oh, that's right. a that's a that's a new one. I might actually name a dog that. I like I like that name. 
I wonder if Tad is is sort of alluding to Tadpole and Tripoli is alluding to some other sort of seafaring creature, right? Because of the the ties with his family in the sea and the father being um, a sailor. Mm-hmm. No, I wonder. I'm just looking if there's anything that we can see here. So that da- that daughter in the film, she's George Buckflower's actual daughter. Actual factual daughter. Oh, wow. I don't know. I mean, that's not my bag to cast my daughter in that role, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, Buckflower. I mean, you know, uh, George Buckflower is a unique, and I mean, he had a long career. He's a unique guy. He is. You know, he totally. one, of those, one of those guys that if you know who we're talking about, you, you never forget him. Yes. He's been in so many things, and this is one of his more straight roles, and it's always weird to see him when he's clean-shaven and not playing like a wino or a drunk. Yeah, that's right. He doesn't have a- because that's what he's mostly known for. And the actor that plays the ancestral father, he's he's a good actor, too. He's a good uh, exploitation film actor. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's been in a lot of shit, man. I wouldn't be surprised. He looks like he'd be in some biker films and kind of counterculture kind of stuff. And Yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. A lot of stuff. Probably some stuff we've done on the show, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. I and mean, there could be some other familiar names here in the cast, too. But um... Well, the bartender, he looks familiar. How about, then, good old long, how about good old Long John, man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he looked a bit like a kind of a squinty Clue Gulager. I don't know. I, yeah, yeah. Couldn't quite place him. But um, I love the lime green credits in this film. How often do we see lime green credits in a film? Uh, not much that I can think of. I'm sure there's probably been another instance where we have. There might have been. I mean, hot pink was a thing for a while. Pink? That was mostly in the '80s, right? Yeah, or Drive or something. But yeah, no, the lime greens making a comeback. It's it's kind of a not quite lime green, but it's 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 it looks good. And maybe I think it's a sea green. Sea green, maybe. Yeah, yeah, like sea foam green or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the title, which you came from the sea, very fairy tale, and I think when you see the film, it does literally come from like a fairy tale, right? Right, and I like that because I think that Millie Perkins' character Molly latches on to th- she she has this this fixation and fascination and reverence for her father, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And this almost a very fairy tale quality to his existence in her head and how she recounts things. But her sister seems to have a very different opinion. Yes. Um, you get the muscle man on the beach, which is amazing. But what's bizarre is the one dude, we get a cock shot in his speedo. I don't know if he had like what he had going on. Like dude had like, he glued two or three ceramic coffee mugs together and stuffed it down his pants. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Well, it might've been cold on the beach. You might've had to, no, but I mean, it know. was like unbelievable. They had to do stuff yeah. to stuff it. Yeah. Maybe a Peter Berlin look. There. Yeah. Yeah. It was as unbelievable, but, um, <laughs> it just there's a lot of small things this one really like like um how Molly's always correcting the boys. Yes. Ants, crabs, sailor, sea captain. These all feel like very real things that an ant would do or you know, someone in your family would do. But yeah, anytime she speaks, she seems to be somewhere else, right? Right. Yeah, she just, she seems to always kind of be in a in a daze. 
Yeah, she does. And she really kind of conveys that kind of dead-eyed performance so well. She does. And she has an interview on the disc, and she's not like that at all. She's very, you know, jovial and very... Looks good, too, like for her age. Yeah, yeah for her age, yeah. I mean, you got to remember, this is Anne Frank from 19... I don't know, what, 40, 50-something? I can't remember what year that film came out. But, you know, uh, this is a brave performance from somebody who's known... I think she was nominated for an Oscar for that film, so... Yeah. And here she is, you know, uh, doing nudity. Quite a bit of nudity. A lot of nudity, sleazy nudity. There's a lot of um, this is this is intense. I mean, this is a grown-up kind of intense film. Um, very. It's almost a it's almost a precursor in a way. Like I said, we were joking around to like the car one eye and stuff. I don't remember what year the car one eye came out. I think seventy four, like seventy six. Yeah, somewhere between seventy four and seventy six. I would think it's one of those films we haven't covered, which I know yeah. people are amazed that we haven't covered it. But you know, we're both fans of it. But the the this almost feels like a precursor to those type of those those violent women revenge films. I don't know if this was the first one. This is nineteen. Well, this obviously is not the first one. This is seventy six, but this is definitely in there, and it, it it feels like a precursor. But it might not actually just be right around the same time. But it definitely feels like a precursor to I spit on your grave. This forty five is a big Mirziachi film or whatever that guy's name is. Zieri. I can't remember what his oh, name is. Zaire Merki or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember his name is. <laughs> it's really dude. Yeah, no, this to me, it, it, yeah, Miss forty five is the one, but it it floats around more. She's more like a functioning um, revenge. Seeker. Yeah, Miss forty five is kind of more about the trauma. Mm-hmm. It's more. It's it's almost. You, know, it, you guys covered that on another show. I wasn't yeah. on. I wasn't really allowed to talk about it that much because I was. Well, I wasn't on the show. I couldn't talk about it at all. But that's what I always think about Miss Miss Forty Five. It's about the trauma of the situation and a reaction, an instant, yeah. like immediate kind of uh, response. And even that. I Spit on Your Grave is much more about the revenge. Yes. This one is much more psychological. It's about this kind of ongoing, like crusade. And really, I think a, a really intense like dislike a of over masculinity. Yeah. Because Long John is a man, but I think there's a kindness to him that, well, unbeknownst to him, keeps him around. Yeah. I often wonder, I don't know if they were going for that. I didn't really listen to all the commentary, but uh, I wonder if they were going for like the siren thing. Because, I mean, most of the siren uh, mythos is, you know, a beautiful woman calling you to your doom right so yeah. maybe maybe that is kind of part of there's it there's definitely something to that absolutely right absolutely mm-hmm. and jack dracula is it jack dracula's tattoos they're amazing and we get sam the electric man was your nickname <laughs> in high school <laughs> yeah. um the, mother- the great thing one of the greatest things about this movie is it's cast with people who can act as opposed to cast with people who look good Absolutely. This movie, nobody in this movie, I would say, is drop dead gorgeous. No. Female or male. No. Uh, everybody looks unique, and I miss that about. That's one of the great things about the '70s is people look like people. Oh, totally. Whereas nowadays, I mean, come on. You think about the movies made nowadays. People don't even look like people anymore. No, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's got a six pack. Even the females have six packs. I mean, it's. You know, we're so caught up in the glamour now that Too much we kind of forget that. I think like only like the Coen brothers and a few others really kind of cast for face anymore. Oh, I know. I know. But her sister in this, speaking of that, it reminds me of uh, Kathleen Freeman, who did a lot of films with Jerry Lewis. 
Oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, she was I think like the head mother and ladies man. Um but yeah, no, I like the just feels very sort of slice of life uh, this kind of you know LA kind of beach town not even LA just southern california kind of beach town thing um yeah they never really say it's venice beach do they and they shot it there but they never yeah, really it looks say like it's venice, venice beach though yeah yeah with all the yeah the dudes that cuz it feels like it almost feels like it's like a new england like like a fishing town right sure cuz it feels abandoned and kind of isolated yeah like a gloucester or something like that like some of those type of small fishing towns yeah doesn't really feel. I mean, if you look, I mean, it does feel Southern California, but I don't know. What with her dad being a sailor and all that stuff, it always you think more New England than you do California. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she calls him Papa, and you know, you know, this is where you start to see the bizarre kind of uh, the flashbacks, where they start to get really strange very quickly. A flashback, bizarre sort of uh, dream sequence with the torture. Oh yeah. And. There's just, yeah, there's this intensity kind of simmering with her, especially when the sequ- with the sequence when, yeah, with the father, and it's uh, there's a razor, and I'll tell you, the razor, it's a really nasty scene, because there's a castration, and she says, oh. Yeah, she don't cut, she saws. Look at this, Ray, look at this, it's dull. Yeah. That's... She goes, oh. I guess it's going to take a little while longer, and she goes to work. It's just, it's almost more. Yeah. She's she's grinding. She is. It's terrible, man. It's a vicious scene. Yeah, it's just pretty intense. I know who it was, Clue Gulliger and kind of Ryan O'Neill. Yeah. If uh, <laughs> yeah, they were dirty and reeked of beer. <laughs> it's kind of long, John. Um, you know, another thing you don't see anymore in just in life, they seem to be more prevalent when we were kids. Miniature ships or a ship in a bottle. Oh, ship in a bottle, yeah. Yeah, I used to have one of those, like a schooner, kind of like a. I used to be fascinated, fascinated with that stuff. How they get, you know, when you're a little kid, how you get that ship in that bottle? Yeah, just mind blowing stuff at the time. Yeah. Um, then when you see how it's done, you're like, oh, okay. Oh shit, that's oh yeah. <laughs> um, there's a really I put gross, a gross seagull scored flashback. Oh yeah, the one flashback scored with the sound of seagulls. It's really yeah. gross though. And then what's the note I have here? Bed, floor, closet, bathtub. I don't know. I don't even know what that is. I, I think I know, but I don't want to say it. Um, no, is it a spoiler? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it is a spoiler. I'm, uh, yeah, now I know what you're talking about. We get the L.A. Udo Kier having a party. Gets more than he bet on. <laughs> gets his hand fucking busted up or something. Yeah. Um, and that's a pretty intense scene with them fighting. and um, Yeah, it just it's this really kind of bizarre. These people that are kind of doing their own thing. It's kind of cut off from the rest of society, but it, it just feels very real, very intense. Um, she goes back to visit, to visit, to visit Jack, Jack, Jack Dracula. And we hear that, uh, rising from the curly black sea is the, uh, witch. Yes. Um, she gets that tattoo just like her dad's. Mm-hmm. And we get this white ceramic rabbit, and I wondered if that was like an Alice in Wonderland nod, like down the rabbit hole. I don't know. Who knows? Um, there seems to be very much this fear of complex women, though. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot going on, I think, here. A lot. And this is what I really want to listen to the commentary track for. Like, I think she says the line, or the sister says the line, Oh, all football players are faggots. Closet queens. 
Yeah. Just all yeah. sorts of just kind of bizarre things. And, I, you know, one of the lines I love that was so prevalent in, like, late 60s, early 70s films when referring to sex, did she ball him? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go ball my old lady. Yeah. I listen to, I still listen to ACDC songs. I hear them say ball. Yeah, totally. We'll get together and have a ball, and, you know, or we'll be balling. I'm like, uh, you know, what are we talking about? Are you guys shooting hoops? Yeah. Well, speaking of balling, Long John's got tunics for days, man. If I got a tunic on his ballins. Yeah. <laughs> <A little> funny <laughs> tunic. Um, a ball and hammock. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I put the most feeble self-defense in the history of cinema. Yeah. <laughs> you weak ass. But anyway, those are all my notes. I could keep them, but I won't. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to add. I, I think that, you know, like I said, I, I like that it's cast the way it is. A great leap performance from Millie Perkins. I mean, it really is. It, yeah. The film really does have some brutal moments, so be prepared. Um, maybe more so for, well, no, I think for everybody. I mean, but I think some men, some dudes I know do not like castration scenes. So mm. uh, be prepared because it's a pretty gruesome one. It is. Uh, I think it sets its tone pretty well. Like I said, it, it definitely, you know, when I think about Simber's films, this one in Butterfly definitely set their tone the best, but. I can't remember if Candy, Tan- Candy Tangerine Man really set a tone. It felt more schlocky than yes. the, these do, than this one does. And, and Butterfly is pretty schlocky, too, but it's schlocky in that kind of trashy way. But one thing that Candy Tangerine Man and this share in common is both have people sort of living their day-to-day life under the veil of normalcy, but deep down there's a really major secret. Mm-hmm. With Candy Tangerine Man, he's the biggest pimp in the city. And he pretends he's going to work every day, but in this, it's that uh, our lead characters. Right, that's right. Because in Kenny Tangerine Man, he's got like a doesn't he have a family at home? Or like yeah, that's right. He drives. But the then when he leaves the house, he gets out the you know the Bond car and mm-hmm. the Candy Tangerine car, and he's the Candy yeah. Tangerine Man. So that's right. It is a kind of like a, a mask or something. More, but yeah, Millie Perkins is doing the same thing. Cause she's raising. Well, she's not raising these kids. I don't know about that. The kids love her, work. and it's a very yeah. different uh, setup. Yeah. And, but she's, you know, actually this vicious, you know, killer behind the scenes. And yeah. Uh, vicious, I mean, really nasty. Major. But, yeah, it looks it looks pretty good. I mean, it, it uh, again, I think I think maybe the the premonition might look the best of the three. Yeah. As far as the pretty- transfer. But this one, this one definitely looks better than Malatesta. But I like the way this one's shot more. But, of course, we're talking about Dean Cundy here, so... This one's shot with a lot of mood and a lot of nice aspects that you know add to the the horror moments. And this this one is definitely a true blue horror film. This is you know this is a as much as Malatesta is a bizarre horror film. This is a true horror film. This is horrible things happening to people. Yeah, uh, it might move move slow for some, but I think it's a fascinating. It, it feels almost like um, the that that Natural Enemies one I'm talking about with Hal Holbrook, just a great yeah. fucking film. Well, I like the way this thing ends too. It ends with a great shot too. Yeah, it does. You know, and that that that's pretty impressive. And I I like to know how they pulled that off. Yeah, so, I have to look into that. Yeah. It seems like it'd be pretty hard to pull off the way it's set up. I don't want to give it away. I don't want to say anything. So, but I, I like that too because it kind of kind of leads you to believe that you know maybe that that witch maybe that character is going away to come back again another day or whatever so mm-hmm. i don't know i don't think that gives too much away but no no pretty fascinating but yeah i don't really have a whole lot more to add i mean i think it's well worth the price of admission though cause it's, i think this set is absolutely if you love our show some of these are slow moving you gotta be in the mood 
to watch them, but I think you're going to get something very different than you're accustomed to, but that is going to work quite well. Yes. And again, chock full as always. The special features, the the Tides and Nightmares features about 24 minutes. It's got interviews with Perkins and Simber and Cundy and that other actor that played the dad. And yeah, yep, that's right. I'm trying to remember what his name was. I'm trying. I'm gonna look it up real quick. Well, you probably go over your make or breaks, but sure, make or break. I didn't really have one scene to be honest that felt like it stood out because it's just a lot of quality. Um, actually, I'm gonna go with the Muscle Beach scene because I think it's really bizarre. And it's pretty nasty, and early on, it's really nasty and strange, and yeah, you know, I just kind of ooh, okay, I'm in here. Let's see what this is all about. MVT got to go with Perkins. I mean, she really brings it, and she really brings it. She's great in the film and terrifying in this own kind of quiet, wide-eyed way. Um, my score is a seven point seven five. Really loved this one. Really loved it. I can't wait to rewatch this again. John Goff was his name. He was in They Live. He was in The Fog. He was in Drive-In oh. Massacre. Wow. He's been in a lot of stuff like that. You you give, what was the score you gave it again? 7.75. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, my MVT for this, Millie Perkins. Uh, yeah, man. She's really good in the film, no doubt about it. My make or break. Uh, whew. I like that razor blade scene, but I think I'm going to go with the dad squatting in the closet because it's so bizarre and it bothered me so much that I'm still thinking about it to this day. Oh, yeah. It's been two weeks ago since I watched this, and it's still bothering me. And it's the smile Ugh. and the kind of giddiness of that character that bothers me the most. Yep. And, of course, what transpires later with the dad, you know, is pretty grim and awful. Uh, oh, yeah. Not just because of the act, but what happens during the act. It's just like, what the fuck? Oh, man. How can that not traumatize a child, right? Mm. Uh, my score is just a slight bit lower than yours, uh, 7.5. I like to quote cool. it, man. This is the best film of the set, but all three films are pretty exceptional and for what they are and not only that but you get a lot of good stuff i mean this is this is easily one of arrow's best releases this american horror project it is what an inspired choice by them to put this out and really you know forward thinking they're showing they're telling us what we want before we even know we want it right yep it's yep. like criteria put off and think man do i really want to get into this and then it's like yeah. wow i didn't know i wanted a blu-ray of malatessa's carnival of blood no not exactly <laughs> yeah they exactly. know that now, I know I did want a Blu-ray of Sheba Baby, but that's beside the point. Yes. Absolutely, <laughs> man. Uh, okay. We'll that another week. Yeah, we sure will. Um, that is the big show. Yeah. I thank Arrow, as always, for taking care of us, um, allowing us to, to promote, uh, very gladly promote their product. It's not cheap, but it's money well spent for the serious yeah. collector. Yeah, we implore people to buy their material, not just because they sponsor us, no. but because... This is the, the kind of label you want. This yeah, is the label you yeah. want. We talk about that as film fans who love mm -hmm. sort of, uh, you know, you want to see something that's the love and the care and the, the scholarly kind of interests into something like this, and then they do. Yep. Every time. There's I'll, a lot of great labels out there, but I feel like Arrow's, you know, they're really doing, they're really doing the work. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They're, they're really putting love quality. into films that people would not even – take a second look at so. that's right they just they, they absolutely invest in their product um all right so we're gonna not just take a short break we're gonna take a long break like a long walk off a short yeah, we were gonna break. we were gonna try to record two episodes tonight but have a little behind the scenes action here but both of us are as tired as a broke dick dog so oh yeah tired as long john after a night with millie it's fucking <laughs> worn out man yeah put my tunic on and head to bed so my Kentucky just came out in me there was saying both big dog. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs>
Um, so thank you to everyone. Uh, we'll be back. We can talk about what we cover next week, though. It's going to be a Vinegar Syndrome show. Yes. After some time, we're going to be doing Luther the Geek on dual format. And I think uh, we can be forthright saying it was a pleasant surprise in some respects. Star Virgin. Yeah, another porn film, which we don't cover very often, but uh, Vinegar put some of the stuff out. And this one was interesting. I, I think we'll have a lot to say about that one. Yeah, we will. <laughs> For sure. Uh, Maybe some, uh, some giggle fits prior breakout. It's going to be punchy. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and with that, there's one thing left to say. Adios. Adios.